Hello and welcome to Undrafted, a Dynasty Game Theory podcast brought to you by the Undroppables. I am your host, Scott Belanger, a.k.a. Jax Falcone. You can find me on Twitter at Dino Game Theory. This is episode number 135. Thanks for tuning in. Ooh, that might have been a pre- little, little preview into what's going on today on the show. But before I even do that, I wonder, and I'm sure the listeners are wondering, is Michael P. Duncan okay? I mean, is he okay? We had the Boston Massacre. Was it like 4.0 at this point? I mean, we've seen some Boston Massacres, but that one was brutal. As poor Michael P. Duncan's MVP crybaby, Joel Embiid, Oh, I'm going too hard on him. Just fizzled out of the playoffs. And who could have seen a big game, game seven, fade from James Harden? Nobody saw that coming. Nobody. He's such a big game player. You know what I mean? You guys know what I'm talking about. Well, maybe we'll get into some of that more, but I think I'd rather talk to Mr. J.J. Zacharyson as he is the guest on my show this week. I'm super excited. Y'all know J.J. I love him. And uh, without further ado, Mr. Late Round Quarterback himself. You can find him on Twitter at Late Round Quarterback. JJ Zacharyson, what's going on, buddy? What's up, man? I think you needed a, a little bit longer of a pause before the thanks for tuning in. But otherwise, otherwise, brilliant, brilliant intro. I know, exactly. I was wondering when I was going to fold in the thanks for tuning in, but that was where, where it was. I usually say some stupid nonsense there. I really needed my own tagline at the end of that. I'm just going to steal yours. Is that okay? That's fine. You can go yeah, for it. I'm sure there's been many other thanks for tuning in before me. You think you're you're not the first person to say. It. Although I will tell you, you absolutely slay that. There are times that you have gotten me with the pause before things for tuning in. We're like, fuck, did it did it pause out? No, oh, there he is. You know, so I love it. You do a great job. Thank you so much. And we'll just hit it real quick for those who don't know. I don't know how it's. I actually don't even honestly know how it's possible that someone would be listening to my show and not know who you are. But if that's even possible, if you're not already following JJ, that seems like a terrible mistake. I love your podcast. It is, I've said this before when you've come on this show, it is the polar opposite of this show. It's short, succinct, and packed with knowledge. This one, not that. Uh, No, I'm only teasing. But it is a long form. We like to talk it out. We have a lot of fun on this show. Your show is like just the tincture. It just gets you all the info. I love it. It's great. You have to be listening. So thank you for doing that show. It's awesome. No, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, that was the, definitely the intent, you know, to just get people in and out as quick as possible because it w- really wasn't happening in the fantasy space whenever I launched it. You know, I think yeah. I think there's an appetite for that, but there's also an appetite for stuff like this. And I love doing shows like this. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, and you know, for for someone like yourself who does a lot of that stuff, I mean, you get asked to be on pods, but this is one where you really get to, you know, fully, you know, get through, a, get through a thought, get a takeout. You know, if there's some nuance to it, you can get there too. You know, I listen to your shows. I love it. You, you've done your, I wish I would have done my projections. I do them every year uh, uh, on Analyst Depot. If you guys are, I heard you actually tell people, hey, do your, do um, projections on your own. And one place that you can go is Analyst Depot. It's a good place to do it uh, because it gives you a, a, a platform to sort of go from team down. Because I've heard you say it, you got to go team down. And mm-hmm. that's how uh, Dave Marchand set up Analyst Depot. So go there, check it out. That's how I'll be doing my uh, projections this year. It's a great uh, way to do that. But when we when you do projections, you start to learn a little bit. And I, I really appreciate that you've done yours. I did love your last show on projections. Um, one other thing I just want to mention uh, uh, quickly is congrats on going out on your own and doing your thing, man. I'm sure it's going well because you've got such a great following and and you do such good work. It's 
I, I assume everything's going well and, and congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's gone way better than than I even anticipated. You know, I, I was confident in, in doing it last year and I loved working at FanDuel. I love the job that I had at FanDuel. There's great people at FanDuel. Like if any of you are looking for jobs and you see FanDuel pop up, I will gladly tell you all that you should be you know, going that direction because it's a great right. company to work for. It's just my time to sort of go out on my own and do my own thing and create some of the content that I've always sort of wanted to create, put together these guides. You know, I have my prospect guide, my draft guides coming out at the end of, at the end of June. Um, it's just stuff that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to do at a bigger company. So it's, you know, nothing against FanDuel. It's just that I wanted to sort of, you know, have ownership over what I'm doing and then also be able to create this, this cool stuff. Yeah, no reason uh, to make excuses. I think you did great. I think FanDuel's grateful to have had you. I think you did good work there. And it makes sense, man. You're, what you're doing actually makes sense. Sometimes you see people go do stuff. You're like, I don't know if that's really where they should be going. When I saw you doing what you're doing, I was like, perfect. This is Appreciate exactly it. where he should be. So I think it's I think it's brilliant. You're doing great work. And in that vein, <clears throat> every year you do a rookie uh, model early, you know, before the draft. And then we put draft capital in. Scott Barrett was on last week. We talked about that. We sort of, you know, talked about how I love his his model is completely – his pre-draft model doesn't even have projected draft capital in it. I would ask mm. real quickly about that question. Does your pre-draft rookie model have projected draft capital? And tell us a little bit about what your 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 rookie model, if you will. Yeah, it has projected draft capital. Um, yeah. Look, I, I think that if you were to have a model that was completely agnostic of draft capital, um, you know, you could you could technically – be better than draft capital, but it depends on how you're really measuring that stuff. I think that's yeah. also part of the problem with how uh, we talk about these things. And this is probably going to be sort of a tangent, but I can get into it. But like, no, do it, man. like if you, if, we've got if, time, man. Yeah. If you look at draft capital in a very linear way, like one, two, three, four, et cetera, you know, one is five away from six and which is five away from 11, what have you, right. um, you know, you can beat draft capital in that way. If you're just running uh, correlation tests and such with your model, whatever you've built, your your prospect scores versus uh, some sort of output. Like I, I look at the first three years of a player's career and their top two seasons in points per game, and I average that together. That's the number that I'm trying to to, to measure, right? And so I look at a player's score, a group of players scores at running back and wide receiver, and I find that correlation between what the score is to what they're doing, you know, in those two seasons over their first three years. And then if I just did straight up raw draft capital and did that same thing, my running back and wide receiver model can be more predictive than what draft capital is saying before I even input draft capital. That Mm. can happen. But here's the problem. That's when you're looking at it in a very linear way. If you look at draft capital from the perspective of, okay, there's like a diminishing returns here. Like there's not that much of a difference between a guy who's drafted in the mid fifth and a guy who's drafted in the mid seventh. But if you're looking at it linearly, that's a massive difference, right? Because right. there's a hundred picks between those two guys. And so, um, you know, if you look at it from the perspective of like these, you know, you can think of it as like buckets, if you will, but more of a formulaic way of looking at draft capital. That's where draft capital can really overtake a model and explain 80% of the model. Like it can yeah. explain a <laughs> large chunk of that model. And so, you know, people might look at the percentile scores that I spit out each year with with my wide receivers and running backs and say, oh, that that aligns pretty closely with draft capital. Yeah, it does. It aligns right. very closely with draft capital because it right. matters. You know, it's it's a it's a big deal. There's going to be some guys though where the variation still exists and those are the players that you either want to avoid or target. But generally speaking, you know, a good player who was very productive in college who's who's um hitting on all the marks within that model uh is likely also going to be drafted fairly high. I mean, Jamar right. Chase 
was a beast analytically, but he was also a beast for people who are watching film and doing things that way. And so he was a top five pick, you know? Uh, and so there's, there's going to be correlation there. What you're, what I'm really, really doing with these models though, is just trying to make sure that I'm not getting too high or too low on guys, which is really my philosophy in fantasy football is to sort of ground yourself, be as humble as you can, that you're going to get this stuff wrong and that there's a lot of variance. You don't want to get too, too high or too, too low on guys. Uh, but at the same time, you're, you're able to find outliers and guys who are really undervalued or overvalued by the market. And you don't have to be, you know, like last year, I was really high on Isaiah Pacheco. I wasn't like, yeah. this guy's going to gonna take over the Chiefs backfield no matter what. I was, right. I like this guy a little bit more than the market does. So I'm going to go out and say, hey, I like Isaiah Pacheco. And yes. you just have to like a guy a little bit more than the market does in order to hit on that player. That's exactly right. Yeah. You don't have to love a guy... You just have to like him one pick ahead of where he's going to go in your draft. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like if you like him enough where you get him, then you necessarily love him. Um, you know, I, you you got my brain going because so much of what you were talking about is so much of what we're going to talk about coming up. And one of the things like like you even mentioned the, the sort of draft capital. It's like we had Jameer Gibbs projected draft capital, you know, between like pick 22 and like – uh, 35, like early second, but more mm. likely late first. Well, that is a way different than pick 12, you know, and it's not like the same difference as pick 35 to pick 48. You know, right. it's a bigger difference, as you point out. So it's not linear. And that's the sort of the point is like we could have looked at, you know, uh, Jameer Gibbs as a late first round pick and been like pretty good prospect. Jameer Gibbs as a top 12 prospect is, is something we need to pay attention to. And that's a bigger difference. And I think that's kind of to your point, right? Yeah. And look, the other thing too, is that people get like angry when you say stuff like that, or when you yeah, analyze things that way, because <laughs> yeah. they're like, well, Jameer Gibbs is the same exact guy that he was before the draft. Why would you change your outlook on him after the draft? Well, I'm changing my outlook on him because I don't care how I get to the answer. I, I don't care right. if I'm grinding film or if I'm analyzing these numbers, I, I don't care how I get to the answer. I'm just trying to get to the answer. And 99, more than 99% of rookie drafts are happening after the NFL draft. I mean, right. largely speaking, I know that there's, I'm in some leagues where you do it before the draft, but, but regardless, we know that that's few and far between. And, yeah. and most of these rookie drafts are happening after the NFL draft. You're getting some sort of input on these players that a front office spent millions of dollars you know, prospecting these guys. They have all these scouts. And that team said, this guy deserves to be drafted at this spot. There's signal to that. There's meaning yes, to that. And of so, course. you know, well, people, what, what, JJ, people get upset, but at the end of the day, think of it this way like, we can only get the data points in order, but like every data point matters, and draft capital is one of them. So right. that's why. And so it's like as if we could know the, the first year's uh, statistics or performance of Jameer Gibbs. That would also be a, gr- I would love that information. I'm not going right. to get it. So I have to, I have to prognosticate just like we had to prognosticate what he would run as a 40, how many, you know, how many targets he would receive in college. All these things are things that we, once you know them, then you know them. And if he would have fallen into round three, that would have said something else about Jameer Gibbs. And exactly. we would have had to have figured out what that was. Is he injured? Do they not like his, right? I mean, there's some reason why he wasn't drafted there. And there is a reason why he was. And, <clears throat> there, you know, we can, we can say, oh, Detroit was just stupid. It turns out they apparently weren't. As I think the, the, the greatest what if is, what if the Jets were telling the truth and they were going to take him? And they were going to put Jameer Gibbs on the field with Brees Hall. That would have been an absolute mindfuck. 
Yes, it, it it definitely would have. And the other <laughs> thing too is when you're when you're looking at this stuff, you know, I, I approach it from a data perspective because yeah. fantasy football is a numbers driven game, and you can yes. often uncover things via via numbers. And so, uh, you know, with Jameer Gibbs, as I'm analyzing him pre-draft, you know, I'm like, okay, his weight, you know, talk, you know, a- analyzing his size and how that matters from a fantasy perspective. And then you look at projected draft capital, and like you said, he was looking like a late first, early second round pick for most of the offseason. I mean, there was at the beginning of the offseason, you know, maybe in like January, he was projected second. to go like, 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 like in the second round, like yes. very firmly in the second round. Yes. And so as he, as he sort of climbed, you know, I don't think anyone expected 12th overall, even the day before the draft. I don't think right. anyone was really expecting that. But when you look at like comps and you look at, has this happened before? Can we be confident in this player? Because we've seen this type of profile go in this range of the draft and how did that profile end up doing? Can we be confident in that player? Well, as a second round pick at 199 pounds, that, that's, it, it's rough. You get Giovanni Bernard, you get Isaiah Pede, you get these guys who, you know, Giovanni Bernard was fine, but he wasn't great, right? But, right. Then, you get it, but then you get a 12th overall pick with Jameer Gibbs, a guy who's 199 pounds again. And I'm not one of those people who says, oh, he's under 200 pounds, therefore you got to toss him and, and not, not draft him. I'm just saying that he's a smaller size back. Now, all of a sudden, he's actually closer in comp to Christian McCaffrey than he right. is Giovanni Bernard. And that has right. to perk your ears. You have to be more interested in that. Yes. And even just the investment of the ball club, too. You know, that he could be the same player. He is the same player. We know that. But, you know, if he gets drafted in the early second round, it's a little easier for that team to just like they did with DeAndre Swift. Right. Yeah. They were it was a little easier for them to be like, eh, we don't prefer yeah. him. DeAndre Swift was awesome on a per touch basis. So it's not like DeAndre Swift didn't perform. It's not like he wasn't giving the Lions plus plays on every, you know, on every touch. He really was. You know, whether it was a target or a touch, he was he was plus EV, right? I mean, he was a great yeah. player on a per touch basis, especially when you talk about fantasy related, but they just didn't prefer him. Why? He wasn't tough enough. He was injured a lot. He was a little soft. Da, da, da. Whatever the case might be, his contract was coming up. That's also another one, by the way, that people don't really factor in. I mean, he was either going to cost them money or have to walk or whatever. So they traded him for nothing, replaced him with the similar play. All that is true. But they were able now, with a huge investment, to look at hit to look at Jameer Gibbs and say, this is definitely going to be our guy. We have to make him work. The fan base, the media is going to be like, when is Jameer Gibbs playing? I said that, you know, on a couple of shows ago, maybe last show. It's like, as soon as Jameer Gibbs go, you know, gets five carries and two targets, post game, they're going to be like, you know, there's going to be a barrage of questions. Why isn't Jameer Gibbs handling yeah. way more? So even that, you know, if he's picked in the fourth round, nobody's going to say shit. You know what I right, mean? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So what, one of the things I was thinking about, you know, so great, your rookie models are fantastic. We're going to get back into that a little later, but in terms of, well, in your rookie model uh, post and uh, post and pre-draft, I think changed, right? I, I know mine mm-hmm. did, you know, a lot of the expectations of certain players changed, like Zach Charbonnet, let's say, just because of where he landed and all that sort of stuff. But what is your overall feeling of this class, um, you know, compared to other classes? I think we've been a little spoiled of late, Agreed. especially a wide receiver, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we, we've had some high-end running backs that have been fine. And then every year, you're going to have a running back or two emerge late um, yep. that, that we didn't necessarily expect. But, you know, I, I think overall, like if you really give this class context of like the last decade or so, probably pretty average, you know, yeah. going into the, you know, last year at this time, everyone was thinking that it was going to be well above average. But yes. I think talent-wise, strictly from a talent perspective, it was a pretty average class. Now, yes. when you look at landing spot, I think it was a pretty poor class from a landing spot perspective. Totally. Um, 
it seemed like a lot of the guys that I liked and my model like pre-draft just ended up going to places where, you know, you don't get that excited, whether it's in the short term JSN, whether it's, uh, you know, Zach Charbonnet, as you mentioned, uh, you know, Tank Bigsby, I liked a, a right. good bit pre-draft and he goes yep. to, to Jacksonville. Yeah, um, Tank so- Bigsby and Izzy Abanacanda, like even you, you throw the draft capital out. They just didn't land great. You're like, oh, yeah, behind two young studs. It's like not even like behind Dalvin or Joe Mixon or something. Yeah, I mean, right. you know, we, we'll get into some of those landing spots and who landed there. But yeah, you could have you could have seen a lot better landing spots. So I, I totally agree. I think also you point out that the class was supposed to be really good. So for that reason, an average class feels like a complete disappointment. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, but it brings us to a player like, uh, you know, uh, Jonathan Mingo. And it got me thinking, like, Jonathan Mingo was drafted by the NFL right around where, like, T. Higgins and Michael Pittman were drafted. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, we're now drafting Jonathan Mingo where T. Higgins and Michael Pittman were drafted. And Jonathan Mingo, pre-draft and in your in your model and in anybody's damn model, I mean, if you have any model worth it, worth a lick, Jonathan Mingo ain't close to those guys. And so... The question is probably more than just this, but is he worth a you know a one-two turn pick in your super flex rookie draft? Yeah, so here's the thing. I, I think that if, if we had the same draft capital and we had the same landing spot, you know, the Panthers picked an, another wide receiver. Like let's say yeah. that they went after Mims or something. Oh my god, don't do Marvin it. Mims. I mean, he would easily be like a late first rounder in, in rookie drafts, right? In in, in both yes. in any format. Yes. Um, but I think I think just because of the way that things sort of like sifted and worked out. You have a, the draft capital and landing spots good too, for the most part, for, for Mingo. He, he not yeah. only could see work this season, uh, but now he's associated and hopefully Bryce Young's good. And then all of a sudden, you know, they can, they can grow up together, if you will. Um, and, and so the landing spot's great. The, the issue uh, from a production standpoint, you know, I did some analysis on this before the draft. I did this analysis with the draft capital of 40 to 120 in mind, and then he went 39th overall. So he was right outside of this technically. But Basically, I looked at if a player was in within that that pick forty to one twenty range. I looked at if he was an early declare, if he was not an early declare, and if he had a best season yards per team pass attempt rate of two and a half uh, or greater or less. Right, and Jonathan Mingo is not an early declare. He played all four years, and then he had a best season yards per team pass attempt rate under two and a half yards. That subset naturally hits at by far the worst rate. Among, yes. among those wide receivers in that 40 to 120 range. And it's, you know, he didn't have the production profile. I know he went a little bit above that. He went 39th overall, but I think that the point still stands that analytically, Jonathan Mingo does not look that great. Now, you know, to the question of does he deserve to, you know, go at the one, two turn in, in a super flex draft? You know, I, I think that there's definitely, you know, I'd have a hard time drafting him over guys like Devon A-Chain and Zach Charbonnet and, and Dalton Kincaid. Um, and then I think that once you get after after that tier of players, you can make an argument for about seven guys. I mean, legitimately, yeah. you can make an argument totally. for so many players. And I think I think like the the bottom line with a player like Mingo is when we're analyzing these players individually, we start picking on them and saying, "Here's your red flag. Here's your red yeah. flag. Here's your issue." But then we ignore the other red flags of the players also being drafted around him. Like I yeah. like other wide receivers in that range in the second who who got drafted in the second round i like them objectively more than jonathan mingo like i would rather draft a marvin mims a jaden reed what have you over mingo i have them in the same tier though but at the same time i'm not going to sit here and pretend that those other players don't have any red flags either right, right. 
So, so, so Jonathan Mingo, yes, he has these red flags, but I still think he still belongs in the tier of those other wide receivers, even like a Kendra Miller. Like, I think that he still belongs, you know, in that tier. So if you want to take him at the beginning of the second round, I wouldn't necessarily do it. I would wait a little bit longer, but I can understand it. I can at least comprehend and say, yeah, same tier. That's fine. If you want to go that route. Yeah. JJ, it's funny because like I, I, I walk the, the, the tightrope of this thought process. And I think the listeners will like this thought process because I also love, I have all the Jaden Reed and Marvin Mims. I have all of it. Like, I I don't think I've left a single draft without one of them. Like, Mm -hmm. so Okay, so if, if 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 what you're saying and what you like, you're saying you prefer them, and what I'm saying is I like and prefer them. If that ends up being right, we look great. <laughs> it's right. Like, see, told you. But like at some point, also you're right. Just be, it's not that. Oh, for sure. I don't think it's like for sure. Jaden Reed and Marvin Mims are better than Mingo. I don't think that at all. Mm-mm. That's not my take. My take is based off of what I see they look like better prospects. So therefore I'm leaning towards them over Mingo, but because I do that in every draft, should I, you know, it's almost like, should I be taking some Mingo shots? And it's like, or am I just right to fade them? You know, it's, it's a really tough question because yeah, I look at the information I look at Mims is by far the best prospect of those three. In my opinion, was that the way you felt going in? To the so, draft? Yeah, so I, I I have I actually have Jaden Reed as my wide receiver five in this class. I, I think right now, right now, today. What about before the draft? Was that be, also the case? Be, before the draft, I had Jaden Reed high, but not. I didn't think that he was going to go where he went. Right. Draft capital wise. So did I you did have not, Mims over him? Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, I, I did. I, I had him. I had Mims. I had Mims as a late first rounder pre-draft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and and so you know that was mostly though like waiting to see how things sort of uh, worked out. It wasn't like a firm take after who we knew would go or thought would go in the first round. Then it was like, okay, now you have all these other wide receivers and stuff who might go in the second round. Mims might've been a day three pick for all we knew. I mean, going into go, heading into the draft. So um, yeah, I had Mims sitting there as the, the best prospect of the, uh, the guys who went in round two. And then the reason why I went Jaden Reed over Mims post draft was he went higher, obviously in the draft. I think that that uh, you know, there's a lot to like about Reed's profile. It wasn't like a you know you're mentioning the, those three guys, those two guys with Jonathan Mingo, and which guy would you uh, you know would would you have if you're in a, in, a, in a single rookie draft? Yes. you're going to take Mims. You're going to take Reed over Mingo. But if you're in 20 rookie drafts, it might be a decent idea to diversify a little bit because yes. if you were to run a simulation of the NFL a hundred times, maybe we would say the the best fantasy asset is Mims. Uh, with a 60% chance and yes. Jaden Reed with a 60% chance and Mingo with a 40% chance. It's not really that significant, right? Correct. Like it's not That's it. that Bingo. crazy of a yes. difference. And so for me, the way that I approach this stuff, if you're in a, if you're in one or two rookie dra- or dynasty leagues, it's fine to just go get your dude, like whatever. It's not that, I don't think it's that big of a deal, especially in the second round. But if you're building a portfolio, you know, you and I are in tons of dynasty leagues, then I do think that it's worthwhile to look and get a share or two of Jonathan Mingo because I think you're fooling yourself if you have this 100% certainty yes. that Jaden Reed is going to be better than Jonathan Mingo. Yeah, I've got this saying and I say it all the time, be ready to be wrong. And like when you're ready to be wrong, you're like, well, how am I going to be wrong about this one? I mean, you know, you can sort of see the trap doors in all these players and Jaden Reed, look, I mean, he's a small school transfer, not small school, but you know what I mean? Kind of, I mean, and then yeah. he you know, didn't produce as a senior so much as we would have liked. And, but then you look, okay, he's got a early breakout. He was just dope at the senior bowl and he, you know, he did produce 
early. I mean, there's all these good good data points for Jaden Reed, and then he just looks really, really smooth out there. I mean, you know, when you turn on the Jaden Reed film, it's like, golly, this this guy looks like a modern NFL, you know, uh, slot flanker, right? I mean, just he just looks like the modern day NFL and the way that he plays. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the other thing too, you know, with with uh, Michigan State is that they had Keon Coleman, who is also going to be uh, a, a, a potentially a good NFLer who could go right. even higher than where Jaden Reed went this past year in the NFL draft. And so you just sort of piece together his journey, and you know, there's a lot of of red analytical flags. Whether it's uh, you know, he's not the youngest uh, prospect, you know, in this year's class. He, you know, uh, it was he's five years removed from high school. Um, but there's, there's also some really interesting positive traits analytically where you get his Western Michigan breakout his freshman year. And it was in on a team that had Sky Moore and D Eskridge. Sky Moore came yeah. the year after Jaden Reed was there. Yep. Jaden Reed's freshman season yards per team pass attempt in the exact same offense as Sky Moore was better than what Sky Moore had when he was a freshman. And Jaden Reed outperformed D Eskridge when yep. he was there. D Eskridge was a junior. Now I know Eskridge hasn't done anything in the NFL. But he got drafted very like the second round. Yeah, like everyone knew that he was overdrafted when the when yes. the Seahawks took him in round two. But it's still an example of okay, this guy was performing well with NFL level competition. Bingo. Even if D Eskridge were borderline, you know, seventh rounder undrafted or something, it's still impressive to be able to outperform him as yes. a freshman, right? When he was a junior. And totally. then he goes he goes to Michigan State. And, you know, there's stuff in my prospect model that that I don't include in the in the model itself, like rush attempts or punt returns and kick returns and stuff like that. But those things individually get some signal like Deontay Johnson's a good example of that, where his production profile wasn't like unreal. But then you give it context of like, oh, he was doing a lot of different things within his offense. And that's usually a signal for talent in some way, because in college, they just throw their best players on the field. They don't care how often they're touching the ball. They're going to get them the freaking ball. And so with Jaden Reed. They were doing that with him at Michigan State right away. I mean, he had uh, good production. You know, it wasn't like unbelievable production at Michigan State, but he had really solid production throughout his time at Michigan State. Can line up anywhere. You know, his first year at Michigan State, he lined up primarily in the slot. His last two years at Michigan State, he did not. Um, you know, he, he's able to line up anywhere on the field. And then you talk to film analysts, people who, who uh, start charting this stuff. You know, I remember early in the process, I'm like, I, I DM Matt Harmon. Uh, of reception perception. I'm like, there Hey, Harmon, go, go check out Jaden Reed. Cause I, I need to see if this is legit or not. Because one of the comps in my model for Jaden Reed was Stefan Diggs. Mm. And I had to go, to, I went to Harmon. I was like, check this dude out. He comes back to me a week later and he's like, Jaden Reed's legit. Like Jaden Reed looks like he could be, uh, you know, he has a, a couple things he's got to tweak to his game, but, but he could be, end up being legit. And so when you get that combination of like these positive traits and these things that uh, you're looking for that this guy hits, to some degree, and what is a, as we've talked about, weak wide receiver class in general. And then you, on top of that, hear from a lot of, of scouts and film analysts that are saying, this guy's good. This guy's legit. It's fine to subjectively say, okay, you know, my model had Jaden Reed as like an 83rd percentile guy. You know, Jonathan Mingo was like an 84th, 85th percentile guy. So like, they're very, very close. So you can let subjectivity take over and say, okay, I'm going to go with Jaden Reed here over a guy like Mingo because of all these really, really interesting traits that he has. Yeah, I'm with you totally. I, I, Matt Harmon definitely split some <clears throat> some ties for me as well. I don't know that I really had a tie between Mims and Hyatt, but I think the 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 community at large, ADP pre draft especially, had Mims and Hyatt. I think Hyatt was going ahead of Mims most of the time yeah. uh, pre uh, pre NFL draft, and then 
Hyatt slips. He goes to a pretty good spot, though. Jalen Hyatt landing in in uh, in that New York offense, it could be a lot worse. I mean, there's certainly a lot of room outside for him to succeed. All he has to really do is beat out uh, Darius Slayton. I would imagine they love Hodgins, man. I think he's going to be on one side, and then either Slayton or or, or uh, Hyatt on the other side, and then you know, a, <laughs> one of the 84 slot guys will will yeah. man the slot, right? Yeah, they have they have a lot of slot guys there. The thing with with Jalen Hyatt is that pre draft, I didn't really love where I would have to take him in rookie drafts right. because I I was figuring that he might even be a late first rounder, early yep. second round pick, and I'm like, if that happens, he's going to be a late first rookie pick, uh, and, and I just don't know if I can back that just given his profile because his profile very much like Jamison Williams' profile analytically, but the difference is that Jamison Williams has a much better excuse for not producing until his junior year. Much He's better. playing with legit studs at Ohio State, whereas Jalen Hyatt does not have that same excuse. And then on top of that, Draft Hyatt's capital. expected to be a perimeter guy at the NFL level, but he played the slot mostly last season when he yes. when he had all that production. So like, and it was a little bit manufactured, just weird production. So like, it's one of those things where I was almost relieved that he went in the third round because I think that taking a shot on that kind of profile is still okay. Yeah. I just don't think it's okay to do that where Zay Flowers is being drafted or these other guys who just yes. have, you know, a lot broader and better profiles overall. So uh, I think Hyatt's going to be interesting. I think I, I drafted him in, in the league that we're in together. Yes, you did. Um, and, and, you know, just one of those things where if he's going to be sitting on my bench and I'm getting him for cheap, I think I got him for at, at the end of the second round of a 14 team Superflex yeah. league. Yeah. So like, you know, it's like a third round pick essentially. Yes. So, you know, I, I, I think at that point in the draft, you can say, Hey, what if it is a Jamison Williams type profile? And, you know, there, there are also some film guys like Dane Brugler love Jalen Hyatt, yes. uh, you know, after his, his scouting and, and his analysis. So like, it's not like there were no people out there that were trusted that, that we trust that do very, very good work. Like Dane does who, uh, you know, were not on, on Jalen Hyatt. A lot of people were on Jalen Hyatt. It's yes. just that he ended up falling and, you know, now he's in a situation where he realistically could see a lot of work on the perimeter here in year one. Yeah. You do have to do a little bit of like, um, projecting with Jalen Hyatt. Mm-hmm. I don't love the the non early breakout stuff. That always is a red flag for me. That really is. Um, you know, why weren't you able to play well early in your college career? And then when you finally did, you did so in a gimmicky offense. This all right. sounds bad, but ultimately, I think sometimes when the NFL guys, Brugler and others, uh, 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 do their analysis on these types of players, I think there's a certain level of NFL. Um, utility that they have that they may not have for our fantasy teams potentially, right? Yeah. In other words, 100%. a guy, who could, a Robbie Anderson type. You know, yep. I mean, uh, you know, these guys stretch the field, but they don't often get targeted, and yep. that's really valuable because it opens up other things. And they have some big plays, and they're hit and miss, and you know, maybe better for best ball. <laughs> yeah, know, but right. uh, <laughs> that's a fun one to say. Everybody says it, but it, it, in some ways, kind of true. Those big time players where you know you have one game where you have one catch for seventy six yards and a touch. Well, that's obviously nice, but when's that coming? You know, he's, right. he's that type of player potentially. I don't know that. And that's where Marvin Mims for me, when a guy like, you know, Matt Harmon looked at him, he's like, no, no, he's actually pretty successful on a lot of different routes, certainly more deep routes for sure, but more of them than a guy like Jalen Hyatt. And for those reasons, I lean Mims, but you know, Hyatt might be that type of player. Or if you can imagine that, Hey, no, this is actually a good player playing in that system. And he, he'll learn those. Well, maybe so it's, it's certainly possible. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Uh, and it's not like his production was, I mean, his best season production is last year. It was amazing from a production standpoint. Right. So like we can't, 
you know, I, I don't think discounting that either is is totally rational. If you like, I think it's totally reasonable to say Jalen Hyatt has a bunch of red flags, but that's why we're not drafting him in the late first round. You know, like that's why yeah. that's what's being we're drafting Marvin Mims ahead of Jalen Hyatt, not only because he went before him in the NFL draft, but he does have a more well-rounded profile where he broke yes. out early. You know, his production was never like unbelievable right. uh, in college, but it was good enough. It was solid enough. Uh, all three years he was productive early declare all that good stuff. Yep. Um, but, but the, the, the Jalen Hyatt stuff, you're not drafting him over Marvin Mims. So you don't have to worry about that, or at least you shouldn't be drafting Jalen. Hyatt. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah. Love it. Um, let's, let's move on. Uh, this is so much fun. I love this. Um, so let's move on to, uh, you know, something that I think is a, a, an interesting topic for me and it's the quarterbacks, right? So most of the leagues I play in are super flex and most of the time, you're sitting there at the top of a, of a rookie draft, anywhere in that top area, and you're like, I know it. I know how everybody feels. They're like, fuck, I don't know what quarterback to take. I don't know if I should take a quarterback. These quarterbacks, you know, which one's good, which one? It's like a it's a really tough thing to evaluate because the NFL sucks at it. We all suck at it. We never know if you're getting Baker Mayfield or Josh Rosen or, you know, you just don't know Zach Wilson. I mean, all these guys, it's like, you know, they were all high picks and, it's just brutal. It's a it's a walking landmine, but you absolutely need productive quarterbacks on a Superflex team. And if it's a 14-team league, 12 or more, gosh, they're so expensive. You know, once they break out, you can't get them. So you really can't pass on them because there's no like, well, maybe this guy will break out back here because they're, they're not. I mean, you know, so you really have to invest. So then it gets me thinking, JJ. And so – I think of it twofold and I'm curious what you think about, I'm going to ask you the question this way. Like ultimately, you know, we can say, okay, this guy was a really good player for fantasy Trey Lance or whatever, but if he's never on the field or if he doesn't get to the second contract, it doesn't really matter. So a lot of times I look at like even a Kirk cousins, I mean, still in the league, still starting and fucking a man, you know, he's top 12 quarterback every year. So the question is this, which quarterback in this class is most likely to be like a locked-in starter in the NFL like seven years from now? Like, which one of these guys is most likely to be that guy? You know, I agree with what you were saying about the quarterback position, and it's so difficult that I barely prospected. I mean, I, I prospected, right. don't get me wrong. Like, I can talk about it. I can. I know what the, who these guys are. I don't have Agreed. a model that I lean on. You know, there's nothing like It's just, it's a very, very, very difficult thing to do. And and so from a fantasy perspective, it's very easy to say, I'm going to go after Anthony Richardson because... Totally you know, is rushing is athleticism, all that. I'm just going to go that route. But from a real football perspective, I do think that with this question, who's going to be this locked in NFL starter seven years from now, I think it's probably going to be Bryce Young. Um, and, and I say that from the perspective of what we've seen historically from first overall picks versus even second overall, et cetera. So we know the draft capital is leaning Bryce Young's way. Uh, his passing numbers are pretty unbelievable. He's very good at, uh, doing the things that you want quarterbacks to be able to do entering the NFL, escape evading pressure, being yes, good sir. under pressure, that sort of stuff. Obviously still good under, you know, in a clean pocket as a CJ Stroud, yes. still good in a clean pocket, but he does all of those extracurricular things that you really want these quarterbacks to be doing. Yes. You know, I think that if, if Bryce Young were six foot three, this wouldn't even be a question on today's Correct. show. Right. Yeah. Correct. Um, and so that's, that's why I'm saying, and I'm leaning young because the height thing, while it might be, an issue. The way I sort of see this is the size thing might be an issue from the perspective of him getting injured 
in a season, maybe not being able to play a full 17 or something like that. But I don't know if it's going to really affect his longevity. I don't know if it's going to affect him, you know, being able to play years and years and years. It might just be this bummed ankle or this or that. Maybe that adds up at the end of the day. It might, you know, maybe, maybe maybe it'll end up, but but even, even like a Kyler Murray, the way that everyone comps the two because of their size, you know, he's had some injury issues, but some of it's a little fluky. I mean, he had that ACL last year that was just a, a bad uh, you know, uh, situation with his foot being planted in a certain way and stuff like that. I mean, like that, that, that stuff can happen to any quarterback who's, who's escaping the pocket. So yeah. I'm not like overly concerned compared to others about Bryce Young's size. I think that it is an issue, more of an issue from a fantasy perspective, probably. But um, I would probably say Bryce Young for this answer. There it is, right? So ultimately, it's funny because it, we're so unsure, but if we were really betting those chips. I I was CJ Stroud pre-draft, but post-draft yeah. I switched to Bryce Young for the yeah. reasons you stated. The 1.01 is a, is a valuable indicator. And it's a, I, I said, uh, I wonder if you agree with this. I think the NFL, it's not one team I think that picked him at 1.01. Like when Baker Mayfield went, went first overall, I think the NFL at large disagreed, right? Yeah. If you yep. polled so many GMs or whatever. But I think the GMs coaching all the NFL, the, yeah. the, the sort of, you know, industrial complex, if you will, was Bryce Young quarterback one? You agree with that? Yes. That that's yeah. also a big like. I can't shake what was going on, even if it was all noise. I, right. I can't shake what was going on with CJ Stroud pre-draft and the way that right. teams were talking about it or through the media, obviously. But how how it just yes. seemed like he wasn't this obvious consensus QB one, whereas Bryce Young seemed to be that dude. All of the people connected with Houston, like Lance Zerline, for instance, he he's someone who's very very connected with the Texans. And, you know, he noted that there were, they were down to about three guys, you know, heading up into the draft and CJ Stroud was still part of that consideration set. But the fact that it wasn't an obvious CJ Stroud right. makes you second guess what, what you're seeing or what, what uh, is going to happen with this player. So I just think it's a lot safer to just go Bryce Young at this point. Yeah. However, <laughs> you're not taking Bryce Young as your quarterback one, are you? I'm not. And again, in that same league where I'm going the produ- I've, I've been going the productive struggle route, I took Anthony Richardson at the at the 102. I, I, I really think Richardson uh, could could be, you know, of, of the, the quarterbacks in this class, he's obviously the one that could reach Mahomes, Josh Allen, Jalen Hurts from a fantasy perspective, could actually have that. I don't know if we're going to see that with a Bryce Young or a CJ Stroud, but right. Anthony Richardson He's just a pretty safe, like he, he's a lot safer of a bet from a fantasy perspective than I think people give him credit for. Totally. Uh, the fact that the Colts, you know, here we'll go back to the draft capital thing and how teams uh, sort of invest in these players and why that matters. You know, if the Colts or if a team spent a late first round on Anthony Richardson, that investment's not very significant. Whereas them spending a top five pick on Anthony Richardson, they're going to do everything they can to make sure that this thing works out and that yeah. Anthony Richardson is their dude, right? Totally. And so, and so as a result of that, if you look at, um, uh, history, and you look at these sort of mobile guys who have gotten drafted, uh, you know, in the top fifteen or so. So let's just look at top half of the first round. Uh, so you get mobile quarterbacks drafted in the top fifteen since twenty eleven, and you look at how they did as a rookie from from a fantasy perspective. Uh, it's a pretty good list. You get guys like Justin Fields, Deshaun Watson, RG three, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, and Cam Newton. Those are the six guys that were in top fifteen that were very mobile during their rookie season, and of that group. Justin Fields was the worst from a fantasy points per game perspective. He had like 11, 12 points per game or whatever during his rookie season. Um, but then Deshaun Watson had 24 before towards ACL. RG3 had 21. Kyler Murray and Josh Allen were above 17. Cam Newton had his crazy season where yeah. he scored over 23 fantasy points. So what I'm saying is, is if Anthony Richardson 
which usually top five quarterbacks get work during their rookie season. And I think he's going to start probably sooner rather than later. If Anthony Richardson finds the field, he's probably going to be fantasy relevant in some way. He's my QB 12 right now in redraft. He's probably going to be fantasy relevant in some way. And if that's the case, from a value standpoint, year over year, we're probably going to see some appreciation with that value. I mean, Justin Fields last year was good in fantasy, but was horrendous as a thrower. I mean, like you look at his, his expected points per drop back because he takes so many sacks and such. He yeah. had a minus 0.17 uh, passing expected points per drop back according to number fires metrics. And everyone compares Justin Fields to Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts. Both Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts at, during their, that same exact season before their breakout, before they added that wide receiver piece, they were above a zero. They had a positive expected points per drop back, pa- uh, per, uh, drop back rate. And so Justin Fields is not there as a passer. Not yet. Not yet. But look not where yet. Justin Fields goes in startups, right? Justin Fields is still a first rounder and super yep. flex startups. The same exact thing can happen with Anthony Richardson very, very easily. And Anthony Richardson could very, very easily end up being a better passer too. Yeah. It's because Justin Fields is like JT on the ground. I mean, it's mm-hmm. unbelievable. It's, it's incredible. So I had said pre-draft that the only thing that concerned me about Anthony Richardson was whether or not he's going to be any good at, you know, third and eight. You know, can he deliver the ball on target and on time? We'd have no idea. Like, that's a problem. But that's a question for Bryce Young. That's a question for C.J. Stroud. Right. You know, that that's that sounds like, oh, no, they'll be able to. We don't know. You know, it's just it, it's how good are you? How good are you at moving the ball down the field consistently, converting first downs and getting in the end zone? That's it. But I said, that's a question. The other question was, what, how long would he be a starter in the NFL for those reasons, right? Like, how much of a leash would he be able to get? My, my, my other question was, how soon will he get on the field? You know, and so pre-draft, I was a little bit like, I'm not sure. I said, if and when uh, Anthony Richardson plays quarterback in the NFL, he's going to be a dope fantasy asset, period. Like, mm-hmm. it's almost, I don't even understand how he can't be because he's got Correct. The, the greatest athleticism ever. And so then the draft solved the first parts of my, my worries because you pointed out like, like he went fourth overall gets the draft capital and he, that means that they're, they're heavily invested. You look at Josh Allen, you look at even Daniel Jones mm-hmm. who got those types of draft, that type of draft capital. Justin Fields is another one. They didn't win shit yet, but they're right. still invested in him. They did not go, Take um, Bryce Young at the at the 1.01 because they were invested in, in in Justin Fields. Had they taken Justin Fields early second round, they probably would have picked Bryce Young. You know what right, I mean? Right. But they're invested in him, so those guys tend to get a little bit of leash even when they're bad. And for that reason, I think Anthony Richardson will likely be afforded the very same thing. On top of that. Will he play right away? You answered it. He's probably going to play right away because they have checks notes. Gardner Minshew is their only other quarterback, and they're they're starving for something right now. Yeah. They, they're starving. They're not going to go with Gardner Minshew, I can tell you that. But had he gone pick five <clears throat> to Seattle, it's likely he has a redshirt season behind Geno Smith. Right. So that would have been a, a, a demerit to his value. So he absolutely crushed the landing spot. On top of that, Indianapolis really crushed the draft too. So they're putting a lot of great uh, players behind them. They drafted a tackle, the uh, freak the kid's name, but they drafted, they had a great draft, right? So now you have him in a situation where he's going to play. He's going to play early and often, and he's probably going to be given a long leash and he's probably, you know, as sure a thing to score fantasy points once on the field as there is at the quarterback position. 
For all those reasons, he's easily my uh, quarterback one in this draft now, and I was not there pre-draft. That's okay mm. to change your mind now because it's so easy to see. Just like all the all the guys who are in on Will Levis have to be a little bit more, you know, Levis or Hooker. I mean, Hooker is way down there now too for me. Yeah. Uh, we don't even get there if you want. We can. I've got a I've got a sort of a take on Hen and Hooker. Uh, uh, the arbitrage play on Hen and Hooker is Hainer and Toon and all these mm. other guys because. What is Hendon Hooker right now? Hendon Hooker is a, a backup player who may or may not see the field. I mean, they, they're just as likely to re-sign Goff, by the way. Than, anyway, I'll get there. But that's a good take. You can get there. But So now the question with, with Anthony Richardson, I think you and I both have him as our quarterback one in one quarterback leagues, obviously, but also super flex leagues. We both agree on that. Here's the question I have. Are there any scenarios where you would take um, – Anthony Richardson over Bijan. Is there any, is there any scenario you would do that? No. Uh, and the, the, the reason, the, the, the reason is more so not that I think that Anthony Richardson is incapable of being ranked higher than Bijan Robinson in future seasons. I mean, we Bingo, see it. That's a good question. I was that you yeah. answer the, see you're so fucking good, JJ. There it is. <laughs> Keep going. Damn like, it. Like you look at, like I'm looking at my, my super flex rankings right now. My, my yeah. startup rankings, right? I have, six quarterbacks that I'm taking before any other player in, in, in a super flex startup, right? So up, up, up until Justin Herbert. I mean, maybe you can right. have Lamar Jackson there. I still have Lamar Jackson over Justin Herbert, but um, you know, you, you have that group of quarterbacks and then you get into the Justin Jefferson, Jamar chase uh, tier, right? Yes. And, and you can make the argument that B. John Robinson is in that tier. Maybe you're like right below that tier already right now, but yes, you know, the, the fact is, is that that he's going to maintain value year over year. Bijan Robinson. I mean, it, it would be very, very difficult. And, and you should have even more confidence that he's going to be able to do that because of the system that he that he went to. Uh, the, this Atlanta offense had three top 15 running backs last year in success rate. Caleb Huntley was one of them. Caleb Huntley, no one even knew existed on this planet before last season uh, or the majority of people. Um, and, and so this offense you know, you could make the argument very easily that they didn't need B. John Robinson. And I would make that argument that they didn't need B. John Robinson. Totally. But he's going to be able to walk in and be very effective on the ground. And even if he doesn't see the receiving work that we would want him to see, very hard to imagine a scenario where he loses market value year over year, unless something catastrophic happens, knock on wood. Let's hope that doesn't happen. Right. Whereas, you know, Anthony Richardson, there's just more volatility there. I mean, I, I do think that he's going to maintain. And I do think that you should be drafting Anthony Richardson as your QB1 because his likelihood of maintaining that market value is very, very high. So you're going to have outs down the line. Like if you yeah. see something from him year one and he doesn't perform all that well, but he's likely going to be okay from a fantasy perspective because of his legs, but you see something, you can get out, you can get out, you can leave and you can get out of that situation. So that's why he's still a good investment because yes. you're able to capture that upside if he shows up and he's the next Patrick Mahomes, or if he doesn't, then you can still trade him away like a Justin Fields right now and still get something for that player. Um, yeah. so, so that's, that's, that's great. But I, I still think that from a market dynamic standpoint, and even from a, from a value of a replacement player type, type perspective, Bijan Robinson is to me in a, in a very, very weak situation at running back across the league and across fantasy, um, fantasy more. So I think the league has a lot of running backs, but fantasy right. just doesn't, uh, have these like bell cows. Bijan Robinson just separated himself. He's just by far the RB one in dynasty right now. Yeah, I agree with uh, the, the, I agree with that. By the way, and that's part of my next question. Real quick though, I did draft Anthony Richardson over Bijan in the league. It happened. Look I, at I'll you. Tell, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you the scenario because it was a mind fuck. Check this out. So it's a ten team league, 
and I've got a bunch of picks in this league. I think I had like one, two, one, six, and then like, you know, like the, the 12th, 13th, 14th pick. So I've, I've got a lot of stuff going on. Right. So I'm like, okay. And it's a, it's a 10 team double super flex. So you can start up to three quarterbacks. Oh, okay. Right. right? And so that's kind of a big reason. And then yeah. on top of that, it's higher quarterback scoring six point passing touchdown, et cetera. So I look at it like I'm, and I have a pretty good team. I've got other good, I may have CMC and stuff. I've got running backs, but I do need, I'm literally picking who I'm going to play in that second flex because I don't right. have a quarterback to play there. So I'm going to play some bottom of the barrel guy or Bijan, you know, moves into that spot or I get to play this quarterback. You know, I got like Tua and I think I have Russell Wilson, sadly, but whatever, you know, like I've got some, yeah. I've got some issues. I need quarterback. So, Pick one goes Bryce Young. Wow. Wow. Okay. So I'm sitting at 1-2 thinking I'm just taking Bijan or A-Rich, right? right? Yeah. You know, whoever falls to me, I'm just going to click it immediately. Like immediately A-Rich or Bijan, whoever. And then I'll just move on from there, draft the rest of my draft, and go on. I was actually somewhat – I wanted A-Rich because if I don't take him at you know at, 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 at two, if, if, he, if I get Bijan there, I'm getting zero quarterbacks. I had like 1.6, and I'm like, fuck. Yeah. I really want to – I've got all this capital. I'm going to leave without a quarterback. Am I going to take Will Levis later? He'll probably go before my pick 12. I'm just like galaxy braining this thing. And he takes Bryce. And I'm like, shit. Yeah. So I spend all this time trying to trade to the 1-3. No chance. Like the, obviously they know, you know. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> the, right. the guy 103 is busy. He looks at me. He's like, yeah, man. You know, no. You know, yeah. Just go ahead. I get, I get what's going on here. Yeah. Yeah, he knows yeah. the he knows the fucking game, and I'm literally I tanked it. I was like, God dang it! I did not foresee this decision. And, I mean, uh, a, a yeah. super flex. I mean, when you can start three quarterbacks, it's yes. a that's a much different distinction in, in, in situation. So I, I can understand that. Yeah, yeah, for sure, it is. It's kind of like a sixteen. It's almost equivalent to a sixteen team super flex, right? You know? Exactly, because it's like 30, 30 starting quarterbacks. Yeah, uh, and they're of course they're huge capital. So I did do it, but I felt it just I felt couldn't. Weird. Yeah. I couldn't do it. I was like, this is hard to do. Yeah. So I totally get it. Um, I did do it though. And and I might rue the day or I might look like a complete genius. And that's yeah. kind of the point with these quarterbacks. If we knew, see the thing with Bijan, as you point out, it's the right take is like, he's not failing. He's not going to fail. He's not. Gonna yeah. Fail. I mean, like, like, like I, I'm very much of the belief that we see good elite prospects tanks at times. Like, it's yeah. not like this is an impossible thing. But I do think that where he went and who he went to matters to in, in this scenario because this Atlanta offense is going to be able. I mean, Arthur Smith is going to be able to get the most out of Bijan Robinson. Yeah. I mean, I say what you want about Smith and how frustrating he is. I mean, they ran a very, very efficient rushing offense last year. They ran an efficient offense last year, all things considered. I mean, we can yeah. trash Arthur Smith, but like. They were not horrible offensively, given the fact they were starting Marcus Mariota for most of that season. Yeah, so totally, um, I, I really think that it's it's also a good landing spot to make you feel better about this elite prospect actually coming through and, and being consistent for you. You uh, you, you mentioned Bijan RB one overall. I agree, and you said it clearly. So I'm, I'm I won't go there. I think Bijan is the RB one overall. I think part of the the reason I faded to a rich was and and. Wouldn't really recommend that in most leagues. Like most of the time, I would I would almost always take Bijan for the reason stated. But one of the reasons is because some of these running backs, you know, look at whether it's JT or any yeah. of these guys, they 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 tend to lose some steam here and there. So the previous 
RB1s have all kind of, whether it was Brees or some people had Ken Walker, and now all of a sudden, you know, there's a lot of volatility at that running back position, which is, of course, where zero running back comes from, the whole idea. And I'm not looking to galaxy brain zero RB on Bijan because I think he's as, as can't miss a prospect as I've really ever seen. I think he's actually a more can't miss prospect than Saquon was. I thought Saquon had this sort of, elite upside because he was a little bit more physically gifted yeah. but, uh, in terms of a uh, uh, top end speed, you know, uh, he's probably not there anymore after the injuries, but you know, when he, when he came out, he was just a blaze yeah. and, but you know, Bijan doesn't quite have that, but he's got the pass catching man, that downfield pass catching. He's a little longer, uh, you know, so he's able to catch more in traffic. Like he is just incredible. So yeah. Bijan, you, you got no arguments with me now. RB2 overall, I had Scott Barrett on last week, and he actually made the case for Gibbs as the RB2 overall in, in Dynasty. And I was like, well, that's that's fair. I don't, I don't, I, I can't be like, you're an idiot, dude. But I'm not sure I'm there. What do you think of that? Yeah, I don't think I'm quite there, uh, but I understand the argument for sure. Cause I think that after Bijan, there's a lot of question marks. I I personally have Brees Hall as my as my RB2 in Dynasty. Yeah. Um, and I I, I think that he's still in a tier above Gibbs uh you know obviously the injury is is uh a little bit uh, of a shame and and not helpful for for Hall but um you know I already said all what what I said about Gibbs the player you know him comping more now to CMC than Isaiah Pede and Giovanni Bernard I don't think he's as good you know CMC is the second best prospect in my model behind Saquon Barkley um and and so I will not say that Jameer Gibbs is CMC is not CMC CMC had unbelievable college production he did um and he's a little bit bigger too he but, returned like 17 kicks for touchdowns. Yeah, it was like stupid college production. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, but but the, the thing with that I had, the, the issue I have with Gibbs, if there is an issue, the size thing is a problem, I think, to some degree. I, I, don't, I don't think that just dissipates completely because he went 12th overall. Right. But, you know, he, ha- he also hasn't been a touchdown scorer. He hasn't been a goal line guy throughout his, right. his collegiate career. And I think that's an issue. In order to be a consistent high-end RB1 in fantasy, even just like one off season of, of being a high-end RB1, you need touchdowns. Since 2011, we've only had two running backs finish in the top five in PPR points per game who scored six or fewer touchdowns, and they had six. Uh, and then of the top five running backs during that time frame, so we have 60 of them because it's 12 years, only 10% of them had fewer than 10 touchdowns during that top five season. And so maybe Jameer Gibbs is able to get that uh, and to get there, um, but I just don't think that he's going to be able to consistently score enough touchdowns given the way that Obviously, in the short term, the way that Detroit deploys their running backs, like, again, this is a real football versus fantasy football type thing. You have David Montgomery right now, and he's signed for at least, they didn't cut him after two years, but you have a two-year situation with David Montgomery, who's likely going to be the goal line guy. I I think we would all agree, after what we saw with Jamal Williams last year. So, David Montgomery is likely the goal line guy. Jameer Gibbs is going to score touchdowns. I'm not saying he's not going to find the end zone, but it's going to be very difficult for a profile like that, as we saw with DeAndre Swift to get double digit touchdowns. And so, you know, I see it with, you know, there's definitely question marks with Brees Hall where, you know, the, you know, the jets were linked to Jameer Gibbs. They draft Izzy Abanacanda. They're doing things that were like, okay, this is really frustrating. And maybe they're a little bit more worried than we think about Brees Hall's long-term capabilities and and availability. But Brees Hall to me has a, has a higher ceiling inherently to be a consistent top five break fantasy football type of running back than Jameer Gibbs does. I think Jameer yeah. Gibbs is going to be a consistent, unbelievably good high-end RB2, low-end RB1, but I don't know if that consistent top five season is going to be in him just given the build, the situation, all that kind of stuff. So it's not really, 
I think that's still fine. If you're yeah. in a single quarterback league, you can still take Gibbs 102. Like I yeah. have him 102. That's still fine to get as your 102. Yeah. I'm just speaking more across the entire fantasy landscape. I don't know if that true top five ceiling will consistently be there. I totally, I totally agree with you. And you know, I, I loved hearing Scott's take because it made me think about that a little bit more. But I agree. His concern with Brees, and you know, it's not a straw man; it's the Barrett man uh, argument, is that that they won't give him. He's not going to be a bell cow, and that they are going to be more of a split backfield. He uh, cited a little bit of before uh, some of the injuries to to Michael Carter or whatever. You know, the, w- once they were all sort of on the field, there was a bit more of a split backfield and. I don't know, man. I just think that that's a little bit of that sort of rookie, you know, thing where they don't always give him the the keys to the car. Yeah. And then he said, "Well, they brought in the Banacanda, obviously to maybe." I, I don't know about that. What do you What do you think about the fact that they don't see the backfield as, uh, you know, a bell cow for Brees? I don't know if I would say that. Uh, and, and I also think that if you're arguing that, and look, I love Scott. Scott and I go, I mean, no, no, I, no, he, yeah. no this he, is more of like, because yeah, yeah, he yeah. could be right. So, I mean, yeah, it doesn't exactly, matter if we disagree. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, he could easily be right. And I, I just want to, I do want to preface it. Scott and I go back way, Scott started under me at Number Fire way back in the day. So, he, him and I go way, way, way brilliant. back. It was an amazing show. I loved it. It's uh, yeah. unbelievable. But no, no, it, the, but this is the thought experiment. And, and just because you disagree doesn't make you right. You yeah, know, that's the whole point. But right, I exactly. do disagree. But I I wonder what your thoughts were. You know. Yeah, yeah. So so I would say if the argument is that Brees Hall won't be a bell cow, I think you can easily and make that argument even more so about Jameer Gibbs. Right. That yes. that that to me is just the bottom line argument that yeah we don't see like like again I'll go back to the weight thing because I do think it's important. I did a study this off season. I looked at different weight buckets right where uh by by ten pounds. So I looked at one eighty and under. 180 to 189, you know, and then 190 to 199, so far, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And I, I looked at all guys who were drafted or went to the combine since 2011, and I bucketed those players to see how frequently they hit different points per game thresholds as their max season during their first three in the league. When you get to the 210 pound mark, is where things start to flip, is where you really see like that bucket, that 210 to 219 bucket, is where you start to see a much higher hit rate. For 14 plus PPR points per game, I think the yeah. the difference was uh, 45% of those guys hit uh, hit 14 plus PPR points per game in one of their first three seasons. It was 16% for 200 to 209. Jameer Gibbs isn't even in that bucket, right? So even right. if we give him the benefit of the doubt that you know he he peed a lot that day or something, like <laughs> right. you know it's it's like he still wasn't in the right bucket that we would want. Like he wasn't even on the fringe of it. And then. Right. I know the the argument back would be, okay, well, a lot of those running backs who are bigger bodied get drafted earlier and a lot of the smaller guys get drafted later. So I adjusted and I looked only at higher drafted picks who are, you know, there's not a ton of them who are smaller, but you get a handful. I mean, you get like 10 or 15 of them and those guys, the same results. I mean, you just continue to see that these, these smaller backs don't hit that fantasy football ceiling. And I don't think that it has anything to do. Like, I, I think when I say those things, People automatically assume that I have this bias towards these smaller backs. It's yeah. what coaches do. That that's yes. the thing. It's not about yes. what I think. I would I love Darren Sproles. I would have given him 250 carries if, if <laughs> right. I were if I were head coach. Right. I would give Jameer Gibbs a ton of carries too. It's just that coaches don't do that. And even Bingo. though they spent that 12th overall pick, I do think that's good from a uh from a from a floor perspective of him getting yes. you know a, a good base, especially as a receiver, of him getting some sort of baseline from a production standpoint. But 
the, the Lions don't necessarily have to say, have to say oh, we're, we drafted him 12th overall, therefore he's going to see goal line work. He's going to see uh, uh, you know, 200 plus carries for certain and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, so I, I do think that there is a an inherent bias based on data historically of these smaller running backs just not getting as much work. And if you want to bet on that, then you can bet on that. That's fine. I just don't think that it's, and I, I'm look, Jameer Gibbs is still a top five dynasty back for me. So like, I'm not, I'm, it's not like we're like drastically no, far apart here. You I, know? I totally in the 100% agree with your take. That's where I have him. That's what I think. I'm not saying that he's not good. And, and, the, and the size thing is funny because it's like, like either one of us, me or you, JJ, give a shit about how much the guy weighs. No, of course I don't. I mean, I only care because we see what happens when they weigh a certain amount. Like yeah. that's it. Like I, if if they were all awesome at 195, I'd be like, yeah, draft all these awesome. Every right. time I see a 195 back, he's great. So fucking fire him up. It right. just doesn't happen that way. So you have to at least take it as a a negative data point that he is not over 210. It's very yep. simple. And yep. you're right. People do get upset. Like one thing I've been thinking about though a little bit, JJ, is, is two factors that could start to swing that tide a little bit. You know, certainly the, the further back we go, the more the game was a power game and the more the game was a grinded out game. As we move forward, it's becoming a little bit more of a spread out game and a little bit more of a speed game. Not all the way there, but a little bit more. It's it's trending that way, number one. Number two, more pass happy. And number three, a little bit more of a split backfield than it is bell cow only. So some of these guys, a Giovanni Bernard, for instance, would probably be a better pick in today's game than he was when he was picked, I would, I would surmise. It's not all the way there, though, but I think some of those trends – uh, m- might be starting to influence how these players are utilized. Do you, do you feel that or I, so, so this is something that I've chewed on for sure. And I think that the counter to that is that if you look at pre 2010, let's say, you know, the, the Jamal Charles years, the Chris yeah. Johnson years where you had, but you, you actually had more smaller backs <laughs> yeah. getting bell cow work than what you do now. And I, yeah. I and, and, and maybe you could sit there and say, well, we just had better talent that was smaller right. then, and that's certainly possible. Yeah. But but I think the fact that we we do see split backfields lends us to say this guy probably won't see uh, a, a massive workload. And then the guys yeah. who, you know, this is the way that we see in redraft every year and how how rankings work every year is that the, the, the running backs who are projected to be true workhorse bell cow running backs in fantasy football are the ones who are separating themselves. That's yep. just how this works, right? Yep. And so I think the fact that we see, like, like I, I think it's almost like we're overthinking it at times because I've seen... I've seen the takes of like, well, CJ Spiller and Chris Johnson and, uh, and Jamal Charles and, and, and these guys who dominated with, with, you know, at a smaller frame. And, but, but at the same time, it's like, okay, but why are you ignoring a, a full decade of football? You know, like right. why it's not like we've seen zero good running backs who are smaller in size. And, and, right. you know, someone could say, well, Christian McCaffrey, well, Christian McCaffrey also year one, didn't see that much work, had to have coordinator changes and, and situation changes. And he also beefed up a little bit. I mean, like there, there's stuff that changed after he was a rookie. And so he's also one of the greatest uh, college profile players, you know, ever. Yeah. And I just don't want to, I don't want to. And the thing is, I don't think you have to bet on that with Jameer Gibbs. Like I know that I'm saying all this and it makes it sound like I'm a, I'm a Gibbs hater, but you don't have to bet on those things to, I have Jameer Gibbs in a ton of dynasty leagues right now. Right. Like you can still get Gibbs and still, feel a little bit of pessimism about that <laughs> yes. what that ceiling looks like right like you don't yes. need to draft jameer gibbs thinking that he's the next christian mccaffrey that's that's Correct. basically the way that i see it i totally agree i mean even if he's the next deandre swift 
that's great. As long as he plays more than DeAndre Swift yeah, does, exactly. he stays healthy. Right, right. Yeah, a healthy DeAndre Swift would be totally fine. We yeah. would take that and maybe a little bit more love, you know, because he's the 12th overall pick and they like him and they didn't like Swift. Yeah. But that, that, that I think is, that is exactly the correct take as per usual from Mr. JJ Zacharyson. Um, all right. I've got something here that I think, so all right, we agree on Bijan. We agree on Gibbs. Now we get to disagree because I'm going to ask you who your white uh, running back three is in this class. Who you got? I have Zach Charbonnet. Um, And I, I I don't think that it's, I feel like it's not popular. Like, I I don't know. How how do you think it would be split? Like, do you think like maybe like 30 to 40% of people have Charbonnet as their RB three right now? And I don't know. I, I, I don't have Charbonnet as my RB three, but I also am ready to be wrong. And I understand. So I'm really curious to hear your take as to why Charbonnet, because I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. And, but I have not taken any Charbonnet over a chain or Kendra Miller. Okay. Yeah. So I would agree. Those are the three in consideration, right? The, the Charbonnet, Kendra Miller, Devon, a chain. So Devon, a chain would not be where he's going, would not be going where he's going. If not for the landing spot, I think everyone would, it's all Miami. Yes, I agree. A thousand percent. All my, all my, and I hate it. I hate that. I love it. I yeah. hate it. So, so if you look at these guys as prospects, yes. right? Charbonnet to me is the best prospect of these three. Um, and I say that Kendry Miller, I like Miller and I, I definitely warmed up to him pre-draft and, and such. The issue I have with Miller is he does not come with a very good receiving profile. And that's he a little not. bit scary. Uh, it's, de- it's not a little bit scary. It's definitely scary for me. Yes. I still have drafted him and I still think that he's a good pick in the early second where he goes and super flex. But uh, Kendry Miller, you know, he, Kendry Miller, one of his comps, which I think is in my model, which I think just makes a lot of sense is Steven Ridley. Remember Steven Ridley? Yeah, don't yeah. do that. The, the Patriots and they played for the Steelers a little bit, yeah. uh, bigger bodied guy could yeah, handle it in early right. down workload, but you, you always question what the receiving work would look like. Um, I think that could, could possibly happen with Miller. The good part about Miller is he's so young that he could develop that, that skill. And he just came out early, you know, he's. He just hasn't been able to fully get there with his receiving profile. The Devon A-Chain stuff, again, you go back to the weight thing that I was talking about before. We have not seen since 2011 a sub-190 back. And I know that he's above that now because of, uh, of um, you know, yeah. him beefing up and stuff. Uh, get to 100 carries. It was, it's basically been Tariq Cohen and uh, I can't remember the other off the top of my head, but Tariq Cohen's been like the, the, the best small back that size uh, you know, that's been fantasy relevant in any way, shape or form. Um, and, 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 uh, Devon Achain, um, you know, he has a good production profile. I think he's going to be better than a Tariq Cohen. Don't get me wrong. And I still have him in the same tier as Zach Charbonnet, but the Charbonnet argument is that Kenneth Walker might not be nearly as good as people think. That's, that's the Zach Charbonnet argument. Because mm. if you, if you match the idea that Zach Charbonnet who I think is the best prospect of those three. He's a bigger bodied guy, great receiving profile, you know, James Conner-esque in the way that he can I had one of his comps as Kareem Hunt too. Like, I think he's just a very, very solid do-it-all player. Really, really good success rate in college, which is the exact polar opposite of what they have in Kenneth Walker. Everyone sees, you know, Zach Charbonnet is a bigger body back. Kenneth Walker, maybe not as, as tall and big, but he has the same type of BMI and he's still, you know, in that like 210 range. Uh, from a weight perspective, but Kenneth Walker is a home run hitting running back. Kenneth Walker last season among all 100 plus attempt runners was dead last 
in his rate of gaining positive yards, and he was dead last in success rate. And so, and then on top of that, he enters the NFL with not a good receiving profile. And then when he took over that backfield last year from Rashad Penny, he averaged a 7.5% target share per game, which is not very good. I mean, it's not terrible, but it's not great. That's like Derrick Henry-esque, right? Right. So you combine the receiving profiles is not there for Kenneth Walker. It's not there. And it has never been there. He had never. His Kenneth Walker's worst, or sorry, his best yards per route run rate in college is worse, or sorry, is, yeah, is, is his best one in college is worse than Zach Charbonnet's worst. Right, right, right. If that makes sense, right? Yeah, yes. You said um, it right. You just got there. You went around the box. Yeah, there's a, there's By the a way, lot. I, I got to interrupt you and just say, this is why you're the best because I, I, you win. You win. You're, you're winning now. You're just winning the argument. I don't like this. I'm not having any fun. Well, here I, I got. I Why do you have to be so good at this? Why? There's still, I there's just still have... more. There's still more to it. Though. It's, it's more so just like I think this is a situation where we have to expand our minds to thinking about these range of outcomes for these players. Yeah. Kenneth Walker, like, had a good rookie season. He is almost rookie of the year last year. Uh, and he's this home run hitter who looks very, very good when he gets in the open field, when he's able yeah. to get that corner and go, he's great. I'm not yep. denying that he's a great runner. I mean, there, yes. he's, he's good there. He's the a issue is look at what Seattle's doing after everything I just said about Kenneth Walker, low yep. success rate, very poor at getting positive yards, not a good receiver. They go out and they get a Zach Charbonnet who is a good running back in terms of success rate and is a good receiver, a better yep. receiver than what we have out of Kenneth Walker. And so I still have Walker ranked ahead of Charbonnet and Dynasty, but if you look at this from the perspective of Seattle spent a second round pick to get Charbonnet, sure did, right? Which we can all sit there and say, oh, that's Seattle. They love their running backs and yada, yada, yada. Still a second round draft capital to get <laughs> right. this like They is. still did that. Like it still yeah. happened. And so Charbonnet to me can be a flex play in that offense with Kenneth Walker. But then if Kenneth Walker goes down or like here, here are the outs for Zach Charbonnet to be an RB2, maybe even an RB1. Kenneth Walker gets hurt. That can happen, right? Kenneth Walker, the, the, the Seahawks truly don't like Kenneth Walker nearly as much as the, the, the public thinks. That can happen based on his year one numbers. It can right? happen. And Zach Charbonnet is better than what we thought as a prospect, which also can happen. Of course, yeah. Charbonnet could, could be worse and he yeah. could not see the field and he could just play a backup role. Of course, it's in his range of outcomes. But I think from a ceiling perspective, the guy with the highest ceiling of these three is technically Zach Charbonnet. Yeah. No, you're, you're kind of, you're kind of right. I don't like that. I don't like that. You're right. I don't know. I don't want to do this anymore. Can we just end the podcast now? This is, this is a complete bummer. All I did is I thought I was going to get you and I've just been bodied. Look, I still think that, that you could, <laughs> you could easily make the argument that Kendry Miller and Devon Chain go ahead of Zach Charbonnet. But again, it's one of those situations like we were talking about with Jonathan Mingo yeah. where there are red flags for those dudes too. And maybe yeah. you really, really like Kendry Miller, which I can understand. I, yeah. you know, I already talked about that, but like, like there are still re- like, he still has a red flag of the receiving yes. profile and no Devon doubt. a chain still has a red flag of his size and not seeing a lot of work in that backfield. So like there are these red flags, Zach Charbonnet's red flag is situation based. It's not yeah. as much the, the, the player. That's himself. true. Yeah. Yeah. When I, when I did my pre-draft um, rankings, I had Charbonnet as my RB three. And I had, um, I think H H chain was like my RB eight. So for me to be now taking my RB eight over my RB three, because, and he was drafted after him in the NFL draft is, is all situation based. And it's tough. I will say this though, if you're playing best ball, you're taking a chain over Charbonnet, right? I, but 
I don't know where I'm at with the two of them. I, yeah, I'm not looking specifically, but like but, but I think, in but your again, head, you know. I, or, think I can make the argument that Charbonnet is a better pick because right. the the contingent upside of Charbonnet is greater to me than Devon Achain. Devon Achain, yeah. if Raheem Mostert gets hurt, if Jeff Wilson gets hurt, if anything happens in that backfield, Devon Achain is not necessarily a workhorse back, a no. bell cow back. Whereas if Kenneth Walker gets hurt, there's a pretty decent chance that Zach Charbonnet is not only seeing what Kenneth Walker did last year, but is all of a sudden seeing a double-digit percentage target share too. So that's a league-winning type profile if that contingency happens. So I do think that you got to think about that a little bit too. And then from a best ball perspective, I do think there's going to be some unpredictability with how Charbonnet produces, whereas Devon Aitken is likely going to be, like we we know he's going to probably get 10 to 15 touches in a game and uh, he's going to be super efficient with those touches and we can plug him into our RB2 spot and, punt RB2 a little bit and all that. But with with Zach Charbonnet, he's going to find the field maybe on, maybe he'll play like a 30% snap rate or something when Kenneth Walker's healthy. And yes. maybe he's the goal line back. He could also be the goal line back in that offense. Maybe yeah, he's the goal line back. There's certainly going to be more get- of a, a two-headed monster there in Seattle, which is a great point. And, yeah. you know, and then he's going to have some potential flex standalone value right. when they're both playing, potentially also in the pass game, which is exactly where you want targets are more right. valuable than, than, than carries. So that's true. There's a very real chance that I don't think people are considering enough that Zach Charbonnet gets the highest leverage touches in that offense. The, right. the, the receiving line. game work and the, and the goal line work. Right. I mean, he, like, why would he like he's he's a bigger body guy than Kenneth Walker. He's had, he's better at grinding out yards than Kenneth Walker, and he's a better receiver than Kenneth Walker. Why would yeah. like that almost should be the likely scenario at this point? Mm. God. Why do you do this? Why? <laughs> why are you this way? I don't, I just don't get it. I mean, why can't you just be like, yeah, Scott, you're right. You know, Kendra Miller is really shiny new toy. And if, you know, this is still, this is still a 60, 40 type thing, you know, like the Mingo yeah. and the Jaden Reed stuff. Yes. This is very much still a, I, I I'm not going to be shocked. I'm just trying to give the perspective of, of being as, you know, of where Zach Charbonnet's love can come from and where that love can come it, from. It makes a lot of sense. It there. makes a lot of sense. I've probably been unnecessary. And, you know, of course I have, I have my own little JJ, uh, on my team and chalk, you know, and chalk's always telling me like, he's like, dude, Charbonnet, Charbonnet. And I'm like, no, no, no. So I should probably be listening to him because now all of a sudden JJ and chalk are both whispering in my ear that Charbonnet's more than I should be considering. So I'm wrong as usual, but I'm smart enough to listen to smart people. And so shouldn't you, I, I, I do like this. I, I, I thought, I, you know, Kendra feels like he could take over that backfield pretty quickly. Yeah. I and, think so. And Kendra is explosive. Like yeah. the one thing that, that Kendra has that Charbonnet doesn't have is, explosion agreed agreed you know he's and he's two years two full years younger in terms of his age he's he's not even i think he just turned 21 maybe he's 20 years old he's two years younger um and so you know you really have a little bit of a longer runway for him potentially you know charbonnet i agree but charbonnet was also one of these guys that like two years ago we were kind of out i mean i even had felix sharp on the show pre-draft last year when we were thinking that charbonnet may come out and it was sort of like eh as a prospect. And for those reasons, he had to go back to school and yeah. does get the second round capital, which may sort of counter counter uh, counteracts that, but maybe he's, I don't know. I, I'm really up in the air with this, with this um, Charbonnet thing, because I'm not sure if he's that good. Yeah. He's behind a player who, yes, uh, you know, he, he wasn't as efficient, but he was very explosive and uh, he was very, very good last year in Kenneth Walker. Yeah. I think he's a better pass catcher. There, there was a couple games where he did get, 
targets. I mean, it's very interesting with with the with how they're going to divvy up the the pass game work there because they don't they even have um oh they have DJ did they still have DJ Dallas oh they they drafted Kenny McIntosh <laughs> that's what they, thank you I was like thinking of the Georgia kid they have Kenny McIntosh too like right. who literally can only catch passes. that's what he does. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can't hand it to him or it's it's not going to work. So like they they I I don't know, man. The, the the whole Pete Carroll Seattle thing is 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 vexing and maybe that's my problem is that I've been like what a mess. I don't want any part of that fucking mess. You know, that's been my kind yeah. of like gut reaction to it. But when you take some pragmatism as as you're doing here, yeah, you you're starting to talk me back into it for sure. Yeah, but I can touch and I'm certainly not saying again. I have Walker ranked ahead of Charbonnet. All of that. Yeah. I, I'm I'm merely trying to paint the bullish picture for yeah. Charbonnet and where it can go south for Kenneth Walker. My model yeah. had Kenneth Walker as a better prospect. Uh, I think Kenneth Walker was the better prospect. But again, the overlap is really hard to ignore of what Walker was deficient at last year and what Charbonnet hypothetically does well if he does hit that like. 60th 70, 70th percentile outcome within his profile yeah totally um af you, you you've done a great job i, I think they were kind of a, a group anyway i i felt like charbonnet a chain and kendra were were players i would be targeting and i was targeting it's just that i've taken kendra over charbonnet and that that doesn't necessarily feel like a mistake but in some ways now it's feeling like maybe i should have mixed that up that's I think what that i you, did yeah yeah i, 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 I that, mixed it up yeah 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 I mixed it up and I've taken some a chain on some win now teams that I'm like, just kind of yeah. hoping to catch lightning in a bottle. Obviously that could go very, very bad um, because of his size. But, you know, I do like to see the, you know, it did make sense too. He wasn't, he was not an outside runner. Like he would mix it up in the yeah. middle. A chain would, yep. and he was a track star. So of course he kept his weight down. It like kind of made sense. He actually, there was just a, a recent uh, little blurb that he's like, yeah, for the first time this year, I'm not doing track. So I can, right. I can bulk up, so I'm going to bulk up. It's like, oh, that, yeah, that makes sense. You're a fucking track star. Of course, you're yeah. not going to put on like two two oh five. Like, why would you do that? It makes no sense, right? Uh, yep. So maybe he changed something. We'll see. I mean, he's also got a little bit of an outlier profile, but you know, if I, he hits in that offense, it could be fucking fireworks for yeah, sure. You at least see that, right? Exactly. And the thing with a chain is that it's okay, I think, to subjectively say this might be an outlier because of where you're taking him in rookie drafts and yeah, the opportunity second. cost involved there. We've already talked about how freaking up in the air like everything is when you start like hit the second round of these rookie drafts and super flex leagues. There's gonna be hits. Like that's the thing. There's gonna be hits out of this group. It's just yes. a matter of who it is. And so since it's all up in the air, I think it's totally reasonable. I mean, I, I, I was not on A-Chain at all pre-draft, but I even said to my Discord and, and others pre-draft, I was like, the one spot that he can go to that Miami. I'm going to bump him up is Miami. It's <laughs> yes. the, this outside zone. And Mike McDaniel strikes me as one of the only coaches in the league that's going to be like, I don't care what his size is. I'm going to yeah, throw him out there because he's yeah. good. Yeah. yeah, he's he's he's. I agree with that 100. percent And and in that offense too, as you point out, there's just a lot of speed to go around. And and when you talk about Mostert, like honestly, I, not not you, but like don't don't give me Mostert. Like this no, is like a guy who bounced around the league. Now. I mean, I know it's his. It, you know, he's just now he's what 32. Yeah. And uh, you know, there's just nobody there in his way. I mean, there's there's a running back on every team, so of course there's always somebody yeah. in your way. But there's more nobody in his way there than anywhere else like there's nobody there you yeah. know i mean yes mostert is a guy but you know a chain is everything mostert wishes he could be including fucking 10 years younger yeah yeah um after that though so i'm agreeing with you those are the top five after that it's very murky and you know i'm basically just taking wide receivers 
until much, much later. Are, are you kind of handling the running back position that same way? Yep. Same, same deal for me for the most part, you know, I've, I've sprinkled in some like tank Bigsby and stuff. Cause I, I did like him as a prospect. And again, you have that contingent upside. It's not a lot different than Zach Charbonnet where he could maybe have some weeks in there where he's effective, a flex, you know, deeper dynasty roster type play, um, you know, or lineup, I should say, not necessarily just roster. Um, so, you know, I've taken him at times, but the, the one guy that I've probably looked at late most is it's a guy who did not get the right landing spot but i'm still buying izzy abanacanda um mm. and, and the main reason um is is who he is as a profile but also when you get into especially he falls in the fourth round all the time of these yeah. rookie drafts right and so when you are looking at the fourth round you're getting players you have to understand how low the hit rates of these players are it's just obscenely low yes. and so i would rather buy into a player who's slipping because of situation. So, so there's two, there's sort of two, two ways of thinking about this. I would either buy into a player who has a very obviously good situation that I'm going to find out if this guy's good or not. And I can flip them pretty quickly. Um, you know, that that's, that's one route you can go, or I'm going to buy into a player where if Izzy Abanacanda went to a very average situation, he would have, he would have been a second round rookie pick, uh, more right. than likely. And so he, he's a really, really good and fun profile. I think that he could still get some work in that offense, even when Brees Hall is healthy. But I also think that he's sort of insurance for this team right now who's in win-now mode with Aaron Rodgers, yes. where they didn't have this bigger-bodied guy who they could really rely on. I know they had Bam Knight last year come through towards the end, but he's a very he's a jag. Yes. Um, and then, you know, Michael Carter's smaller, and they clearly don't like Michael Carter that much. Obviously. Um, and so with Abanacanda, bigger-bodied guy, tons of speed to be that one-two punch with Brees Hall. And I, I looked this up. This was part of a newsletter I sent out before the, the draft. But seven running backs in my prospect database had a speed score above 105 while entering the draft under 21 years old, which is what Izzy Abanacanda is at. He was above That's that true. 105 speed score, and he's young. He's the youngest guy in this class. Uh, those seven running backs, Ezekiel Elliott, Joe Mixon, Darius Geis, Trent Richardson, Todd Gurley, Brees Hall, and Cam Akers. Mm. So he's among... Some very, very, very good running backs that came out with a similar profile, similar size, et cetera. Um, and, and then obviously the upsides there were not only could he get more work than we expect to start this season because of this Brees Hall injury, but also what if Brees Hall gets hurt again? And then Izzy Abanacanda yeah. in a very good offense is all of a sudden a fringe RB1, maybe firm RB2 in fantasy. All right, I'm having fun again. Now you've reeled me back in. Now we're having fun. See, you can do it. You're good at this. I told you, this is fun. I love Izzy Abanacanda for exactly the reasons that you stated. The the I didn't know that list, by the way, the under, over 105 speed score. Yeah. And yeah, it's a cool one. Um, yeah. And ultimately, that's exactly right. Yes, he's a young, phenomenal athlete. Right. That's what he is. And, and so there's some, there's a... Again, Scott Barrett poured a lot of cold water on my Izzy Abanacanda last week, but I agree with him that he's just a terrible practitioner. You know, he was not good at breaking tackles, which also is a very translatable yeah. uh, skill to the NFL. It's why we like Zach Charbonnet, right? It's, you know, Zach Charbonnet is a lot like David Montgomery. He's not exactly an amazing athlete, but he's going to be good at football and coaches are going to like him, and he's yep. going to be plus, you know, expected value on a, on a per, de, on a per touch basis. So here we go. Right. You know, um, effective rate. Right. So, but Banacanda, he, he just, he tantalizes the mind. What's possible. The upside is there and I'm with you a thousand percent. While I had him as a top five back pre-draft, which is probably asinine. Um, look, if he got draft cap, if he landed in Miami, 
right? right. Be over. Then, oh my God. And I would he, have had. He'd be a late yeah. first rounder if he went to Miami. A hundred percent. Third yeah. round Miami was the spot and that's where yeah. E-Chain went and, and I have a hard time backing off. But yeah, that's exactly right. So now he's sort of quote unquote stuck behind Brees Hall, but he's still 20 years old. He's still that athlete and hopefully, I'm not sure, but hopefully he can learn a little bit. He does have the body to break tackles. I don't know, man. Maybe is that a skill? Is that something you can't learn? I really don't know. I do know it's a gigantic red flag, and his draft capital is a gigantic red flag. Those yeah. two things aside, everything you want to talk about with with uh, Izzy Abanacanda is pure upside. So, yeah, late third, fourth. I mean, I, he certainly doesn't get in any fourth rounds of drafts I'm in because I'm yeah. snapping him up somewhere in that third round. I'll trade back up. I, I need to make sure I get – uh, Izzy for those reasons. He's just got absolutely huge ceiling. So I, I love that take. You know, I don't know. Um, let me ask you this. You're taking Izzy ahead of like, would you take him ahead of Tajay Spears? Uh, I still have Spears ahead, but I'm lower on Spears than the market because of the, well, I actually didn't like Spears nearly as much as others did as a prospect. Yeah. Uh, you know, everyone like looks at his, pro- Oh, he was such a freak from a production sample. Well, he did it at a smaller school. Number one, yep. number two, it was more efficiency than actual volume. And right. that, that's a that's a red flag whenever uh, like he's good. I think that he's a great compliment. I think that he's gonna be a great committee back, which is why totally. in the short term makes perfect sense with like a Derrick Henry, at least for this year. But I think that we're looking at a situation where not only the is the ACL situation like a a, a flag, but yeah. you know, his, his like knees and stuff. But yeah, I think we could see a scenario where Derrick Henry's not a Titan next year and they bring in another running back. I mean, I, I don't think that's really out of the question. I don't, I don't think we should assume like I I think there's just I don't a, assume that I actually right, assume I, right. what you're saying. I agree with you. Yeah, I think that he's a better prospect than like a Chase Brown. But I actually think that Chase Brown has just as good of a likelihood to be a true bell cow for the Bengals as Tajay Spears does for Tennessee. A to- uh, that's exactly right. Yeah, you yeah. can say Tajay might be better, but it doesn't yeah. really matter. I think he's more of a compliment back in the in the NFL. Right. I think that's how the NFL sees him. It, for me, it was kind of like the the whole. I, I, it goes back to Kenny Gainwell for me because like I loved Kenny Gainwell. Me too. Loved him. Great player. You watch him play. You're like this guy's fucking awesome. I said, but. I'm not, I have very, very little Kenny Gainwell in dynasty because he was getting steamed up mm-hmm. into a spot where I was like, he's not that guy. He's not going to, maybe I think he's that guy. Maybe you and me think he's that guy, but you said it earlier in the show that if NFL coaches don't think he's that guy, right. it doesn't fucking matter what you and I think. It just matters whether or not he gets that type of usage. I think Tajay falls in that bucket where he's not going to get, you know, bell cow usage or, or, you know, they, they say one, a one B he's, he's a B back, not an a back. Yeah, and he's fine. I mean, like, it, it, like there's nothing wrong with like a flex type player. I just think that that's the kind of player that he is from a fantasy perspective. Yeah. Um. Anybody else that you want to that you that you are like? What about Roshan? Because yeah, let's talk Roshan real quick. Because yeah. I'm a, you know, um, Khalil Herbert was fucking outstanding last year. Yep. Like on a per play basis. I mean, and now we've got Roshan who. <clears throat> He's the quintessential pros pro, right? And he's the quintessential coach's pet. He's the guy that, you know, he does everything well. Pass block. He's a he's a rock. He's big. He can take goal line carries. He can take, you know, uh, he can catch the football. He, like, he's just an all-around player, but he's not explosive. Right. Khalil Herbert was fucking lightning last year on a per-touch basis. Which one wins out in Chicago this year? 
Yeah, I, I have Roshan as the next guy after Kendra Miller, but it's a good bit after because I think that you're drafting tight ends and wide receivers sort of in that range. And then you get into like the Spears and Bigsby after after Roshan, in my opinion. I do too, by the way. Yeah. I have him yeah. at, at, at RB6. Yeah, but but the, the issue is, uh, you know, in the short term, I do think Khalil Herbert's still good on the ground. Um, <clears throat> and Chicago's already come out and said, hey, we want this committee backfield. But I do think that you can be somewhat aggressive with Roshan because he does the things that they don't have there, which is, you know, Deontay Foreman and Khalil Herbert have not been pass catchers throughout their career uh, at all. Deontay, Deontay Foreman's played a longer time than, than Khalil Herbert has, and he has not shown those pass catching chops. And then Khalil Herbert definitely has not. I mean, they've been using, you know, they were using David Montgomery, who's fine, but he's not like this elite pass catcher. Right. Um, and so they go out and they get Roshan Johnson, great in pass pro and can play that role and really has a three down skill set. Doesn't look good in my model because he played behind Bijan Robinson. Obviously, he doesn't look good from a production standpoint. But I think Roshan's a fine enough pick because, you know, it's easy to, to say the Bears are saying this to the media that they want this committee, but we know that it doesn't always work out that way. So I think that you can still invest in Roshan and go that route. Um, it's just a matter of like, you know, I like a lot of the wide receivers sort of in that second round range a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, I haven't been like overexposed to Roshan as much as I probably would want just because there's always someone in my, it seems like there was always someone in my draft who likes Roshan just a little bit more than I do. Yeah. I've felt the same way when I've seen him slip, I'm happy to catch. Exactly. Him. Yeah, yeah. I love catching Roshan on the slip yeah. um, in these rookie drafts. Cause I feel like there's, there's asymmetrical upside with him where he could actually be the lead back this year. There's yeah, easily, easily. There's no reason that he couldn't be only I, that Khalil yeah. Herbert's really good. That's the only yeah, reason. exactly. Exactly. I, I would almost prefer, I mean, I haven't totally looked at redraft ADP from you know, like, like or where thinking about where it's trending, but if, if Khalil Herbert goes substantially ahead of Roshan Johnson, let's just say I'm going to probably prefer Roshan just because of the pass catching upside. I think I, I haven't done a ton of best ball drafts uh, just because I'm, rookie draft season i'll get to best ball here in a minute like yeah, you know like, like next month yeah, yeah so i haven't looked but i think they're going almost back to back yeah um, yeah they're very very close uh, i think khalil a little bit ahead of roshan but very very close to one yeah another, i just makes sense then herbert herbert someone who obviously has been very very good and i've backed him like i've i've been to, i've talked him up on my show plenty over the last couple of years the the issue is this is not the regime that that snagged him to begin with um and they've just done things that show that they don't necessarily see him as an every down back right now. And I don't know right. if that's ever going to change. So, you know, we, we've done it all, man. We've talked quarterback. We've talked uh, running back. We've talked wide receiver. I think I agree with you that uh, the the A-chain Charbonnet, Kendra is after this sort of el- the, the, the top, you know, guys. And I'm wondering, one of those top guys is Dalton Kincaid right now. Dalton Kincaid is getting steamed up in a big way. And I'm it, I'm with it, man. I love Dalton Kincaid. I got a little bit of scared for a minute there towards the end of the the draft cycle when they were talking about he's 222 pounds. He's got a bad back, and I was like, "What the fuck? Are you sure?" And they, I was like, unsure if he was going to get drafted in the first or, first or second round. Like, so I got a little bit scared because I was Dalton Kincaid tight end one the whole off season until mm-hmm. I got a little scared. But now I'm right back there. I think Dalton Kincaid is a is a receiving tight end, a la Zach Ertz. I don't think he's, you know, to say anybody's Travis Kelsey or anything, it's kind of stupid, but he does profile as that sort of receiving style tight end that I think can kind of just hold his own, not really be a plus, but just basically be in on enough running plays to hold his own, to be in there for play action stuff. But I think he's a really good sort of, hey, we're passing. Guess who passes all the fucking time? 
the Buffalo Bills. Right. They basically just line up and shotgun and pass. They've done they've they've gone whole games where they basically the only run plays are sort of like here and there or Josh Allen scrambles. So I think he fits perfect there. How high are you willing to take Dalton Kincaid in rookie drafts? Yeah, so you know, in tight end premium, a little bit different. I think you can take him in the in the range of where some of the I'd, I'd still probably take Addison over him, but I think you can still take him in the range of of where QJ and Zay Flowers go and stuff. I agree. Take him over them. Yeah. Um, but in a non tight end premium league, uh, I think he's in the tier with Charbonnet, A Chain, um, or least That's why where I have him. Mostly, you know, there's it, there's a few reasons for this. Um, you know, tight ends don't appreciate as well in value. True. Uh, in, 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 in regular tight end leagues, uh, non, non tight end premium leagues. Yes. So there's that that you have to think about. Um, but I will say that the, the plus side of, of Dalton Kincaid, um, the bills right now, there's their primary slot receivers, Khalil Shakir, who I'm very, I love Khalil Shakir. I have him in, in our league. I think I have him everywhere. Yeah. Um, yes. and, and if you look at what the bills did in the draft, they didn't draft a slot guy. They drafted Justin Shorter, who's, who's a perimeter receiver. And then they draft Dalton Kincaid. And so, I think this lends itself to them running a lot more 12 personnel with Dawson Knox. I think it lends itself to Kincaid actually playing the slot, like they've been saying, where yeah. Khalil Shakir can get thrown in there too and, and play a little bit. But I don't think Khalil Shakir is going to be this like, like, you know, 25%, 20% target share slot guy in that offense, right? Yeah. No. Um, you know, hopefully it does because I have him in a lot of places. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> um, so, so I also, over the offseason, I built a tight end model, finally. Um, and... I haven't like published it. It's not my prospect guide or anything, but I've sent like newsletter blasts about it and stuff. And it does pretty well looking at historical results. It only goes back to 2015 though. And it only looks at drafted tight ends. And Dalton Kincaid is a 98th percentile guy in that model. And the guys who are around him are Kyle Pitts, who's the 100th percentile guy. He's the the top guy in the model. Uh, The model loved George Kittle. It loved Mark Andrews. It loved Dallas Goddard. All of those guys are up there with him. And then there's Evan Ingram there too, who's good. You know, he's been fine, fine enough. Um, so he has an unbelievable score in that model, as long as he hit a, a about a one of a little bit of a, over a one hundred five speed score. We just don't know because he didn't test, right? Right. So if we assume athleticism, then Dalton Kincaid is a stud, absolute stud, in my opinion. If, in the model, it, it, and without it, it's probably not as good, right? Without I mean, it, he's like a ninety-second percentile. Without yeah. it, with, without the athleticism, if you assume he's a more average athleticism tight end, I actually think Sam Laporta would be the better bet from a from a fantasy perspective. At least that's what the model says. Versus a Dalton Kincaid. Um, yeah. So I, I I I'm siding with him being athletic. I'm siding with that, but. You know, I don't know if the 98th percentile thing with Dalton Kincaid right now is like a firm, this is what he is. You got to kind of have a little bit of leeway with that just because he didn't test. Um, but I, I think he could be a very, very special player. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, th- I think it's a good, a good fit for sure. They, they loved him. I don't know if you saw the, the highlights of them picking him, the war room when they were picking him, they were like fucking all in. They, yeah. they were, yeah, they were jerking yeah. each other off and everything. So um, you, you mentioned, Addison, we didn't we didn't touch on. I'm just kind of curious. Your team Addison over QJ? Yeah, I'm team. Yeah, for sure. Because I think I think the 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 profile is there. He landed in. He was actually another player who I talked about him going to Minnesota. The the podcast before the draft hit because it's yeah. the perfect landing spot where he doesn't yes. he doesn't need to be the alpha because he's not an alpha. He doesn't need yep. to be that alpha. He can play the slot. He can get some reps on the perimeter. Um, and and if you look at what he did at Pitt, um, and it was his most productive season when he won the Bolitnikov. 
he played the slot at like a two thirds rate, whereas that dropped dramatically when he got to USC. And I think that's part of the reason why he wasn't able to produce, but he's going to be, I mean, I like it's a, it's a wide open depth chart. Um, and I know that we're talking landing spot here, but it's because, you know, the, the, I, I do think he's a little bit better of a prospect than QJ with a little bit less volatility yeah. to that profile. But yep. then on top of that, the landing spot to me is almost ideal for him. Whereas it's good for, for QJ. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you got a big arm, Justin Herbert and all that, but, uh, the, the Jordan Addison landing spot is just absolutely perfect for his skill set. Yeah. When I was on the clock, just, I think it was the one Oh seven, of course. Right. Um, it wasn't long. I, I, Addison feels like an easy pick there. Um, and I feel like, yeah, if you're going to, if you're in tight end premium, you have to consider Dalton Kincaid there. But outside of that, it's interesting. There are a lot of tight ends after that. Um, Mayer gets love from some. I'm a little cool on Mayer. I almost prefer someone else to take Mayer and for me to take Laporta, mm-hmm. um, you know, or even, you know, Musgrave. I think that's, I think those are the four. Musgrave goes late in a lot of these drafts. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm snapping up Musgrave really late. I think it's basically be. I don't know why though, because he got the draft capital too. I, I don't know. What are, you, what are your thoughts on, on those four? Um, you know, when you see him going in, in, in drafts. Yeah. I mean, I think in, in our league, I got Laporta and he went after Mayer, which I have him ranked ahead of Mayer straight Me up. I, got, I would just take Laporta over Mayer. He had really good yards, per, best season yards per hour run, really athletic uh, tight end. Whereas Mayer to me um, is solid, but I don't know if he has the same sort of receiving ceiling that a guy like Laporta would have. Um, yeah. And then Musgrave, I agree. I mean, again, you get the athleticism with them. You get the production with them. Um, or so you like he's he's in that bucket too um you know within what, what did your model say of sorry not, not the production with musgrave i didn't mean to say that no no uh, but musgrave was interesting because he his production started and then he got hurt like yeah yeah so you know so and it's it's hard i don't know the model the model for musgrave he had a 1.16 best season yards per route run which is pretty horrendous right um but he has the size and athleticism good speed score um and and the draft capital was there as well so he um, you know, he checks enough boxes where he's my tight end four. I'd still draft Mayer over him, but given where he goes, I'm I like you. I've gotten Mayer in only one of my rookie drafts so far this year. I've gotten Musgrave in probably like four or five of them. Yeah, so far. yeah. He just feels like he's easy money late. You're like, all right, yeah. I'll just take him. You know, I mean, yeah. it, you don't have to trade up or anything. You don't have to use a premium pick. And that's the thing, like those third round picks. If you can, if you can catch some of those, those, those falling players, like you know, Roshan or Musgrave or, or whatever. That, I, I like doing that. Um, you're, you're amazing. Let's, uh, let's do this. Let's end on something. Give me, um, a player that you are like late, a deep sleeper. You, you can have a couple. I, I, you don't have to pick just one, but just a deep sleeper in in this draft that you're really getting excited about taking, especially round four, um, you know, in your rookie draft. So I'll give you one at wide receiver and one at running back. Uh, the wide receiver that I've been getting a lot is Tyler Scott out of Cincinnati um, who landed in Chicago. Yeah. Um, you know, he had early declare. He should not have gone after his teammate uh, Tucker and, and who went to, to the Raiders, which is wild. Uh, just considering pick 100. Yeah. I mean, it was just a wild pick, but uh, Tyler Scott, much more productive uh, in college than, than Tucker was. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, he's a, he's a, an early declare. And then in Chicago situationally, uh, Darnell Mooney, who, Tyler Scott kind of comps to Darnell yes. Mooney. I mean, loosely. Uh, so, you know, he's sort of that vertical thread. He can play in the slot too. Darnell Mooney and Chase Claypool are free agents next year. So all of a sudden, if Tyler Scott shows up this season, which he might get some reps, if he shows up or he shows up in camp, whatever, uh, 
there's a chance that he's the wide receiver too on that team next year. Um, and there's also a chance that they're maybe just, just, they move on from because it's not like the situation there is that fantastic for a wide receiver given the volume that we're likely to see with Justin Fields under center. But um, you know, Justin Fields might not even be there next year either. We have no idea. So <laughs> I think there's enough like there's enough like situationally and profile wise. Like I think Tyler Scott was just a good prospect to begin with where I like throwing that dart, um, you know, in the fourth round. Um, I guess another one I should say a wide receiver is, is Puka. Uh, yes. I've been getting him a lot. I think that he yeah, cause he's like, also got a very climbable depth chart. Exactly. I think that he could be like the Robert Woods in that McVay offense. Cause he yeah. did a lot of those things uh, in college. He had yes. a really, he was really efficient per route. Um, you know, his, his best season yards per team pass attempt wasn't as good as it could have been if he would were to stay healthy. Um, but I, I that's a really that's a really great point because I've said that Puka is kind of like a very 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 poor man's uh, Debo, but you're right. He's more of a Robert Woods type because Robert yeah, Woods used be, to get could, 10, yeah, 15 could, carries a, a year. Yeah, you know? yeah, he could. Yeah, he could get some of those end arounds that Robert Woods used to always get in that that Rams offense. So I think I think uh, Puka is one to to target. And then my super deep dart throw running back uh, is is Lou Nichols. Uh, so usually we don't see guys who didn't get invited to the combine, you know, do much then in the NFL. So that's definitely something that to, to keep in mind with, with Nichols, but it's really not easy to find bigger bodied running backs with good receiving profiles. Now he didn't go to this like power five school. I get it, but he had a 14.7% best season reception share and he's 220 pounds. Um, yeah. And he's also, he's not 22 years old yet. He's still younger. And then if you look at green Bay and their situation, their depth chart, Aaron Jones is going to be 29 in December. AJ Dillon going to be a free agent next year. So AJ Dillon's also coming off a bad season. He didn't play very well last year. So right. if AJ Dillon has another bad year, he could be gone in 2024. Aaron Jones is going to be 29 to 30 years old next year. Lou Nichols, if he shows up, then he could, he could make some noise too. The Packers always like, I loved Aaron Jones coming out. They get Aaron Jones. I loved Kylan Hill coming out. They drafted Kylan Hill. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then now they get, they get, they get Lou Nichols. Who's this again. I love the 215 plus pound backs who have decent receiving profiles, uh, because it shows it's, it's a signal for talent. So yeah. Lou Nichols is one that I've been throwing darts at. Like, I mean, super, I mean, you can get them in the, I mean, you can get them undrafted a lot of times, yeah, but exactly. But, no, but Lou Nichols is one that obviously the, the chance of him hitting is not very high, but he's one who's on a lot of my, my rosters right now. Yeah. And I think like, I was going to ask you this and we'll probably, I'll probably at least mention this in a lot of cases. I'm not taking any of these wide receivers late. Um, you know, I, I haven't, I haven't taken any Puka. I haven't taken any Tyler Scott, not because I don't agree with you. I actually do agree with you. Those are very good late round wide receiver. You know, it's just, none of these guys ever fucking pan out like yeah, none of them yeah. ever, never, ever do they ever pan out. But you do see Khalil Herbert and you know all, Elijah Mitchell. You do see the running backs yeah. will pop. So I'm take I'm more likely to take these running backs, and I've been okay with Jake Hayner and Clayton Toon yep. because they go even in Superflex. They're like way down there. There's guys taking all these wide receivers ahead of them, and it's like, dude, if 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 Hayner gets on the this was my take on Hooker. <clears throat> Why take Hen and Hooker when you can get Toon or Hayner? Right. You know, it's like. What's the difference? Like, right. what's the difference, really? I mean, I know they're a little bit better draft capital for Hooker and a be better prospect. I get that. But by by two rounds, like early second versus like just sometime in the fourth or fifth, whenever the fuck I feel like it, I can just take Hainer and, and Toon. Yeah. And like, I, to me, it's 
just as likely as that Hayner and Tune play in 2023 as as Hooker. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like especially Tune. Right now, I just so you know, this is not a player take because I don't know if Clayton Tune is any good at all. I know yeah. some people think he's really good, and other people. I I said this thing on Twitter, and like some people are like, "Dude, Tune is fucking awful. You're LMAO." You know, the, I'm like, uh, maybe I, that that. That's very, very possible. As a matter of fact, it's probable that Tune is bad. I'm, I'm with you, but he's. It's also very likely that he could be playing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if he gets out there, and if he's average, if he's just an average quarterback, you take a fourth or fifth round pick and turn it into whatever a starting quarterback is worth. You know, in in a in a super flex draft. I mean, in a super flex league, I, I'm taking it. So, what yeah. do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, from a game theory perspective, I do that all the time where yeah. I get guys like Davis Mills and I flip yes. them no matter what the next year, no matter what. I just, <laughs> right. I, I I don't, you know, I think that you can make a somewhat different argument for Desmond Ritter this year only because the weapons and the situation is really, really good for him. But, but he's still not a bad sell. Right, exactly. He's still yeah. not a bad sell. Like th- those types of the guys who don't get that draft capital, highly, highly unlikely they're going to become, highly, highly unlikely you're going to regret it. Right. That, that, that's really what it comes down to. So I mean, there is, the, there is the there is the Dak Prescott, Russell Wilson upside sure. play there too. I see that, but that's not even the game I'm playing. I'm not right. saying Clayton Toon is going to be Dak Prescott. Right. I'm saying that Clayton Toon might play. <laughs> and that's all that matters. That's all that matters. And Period. so I'm just looking for the guy that might play. Yep. And I think he's more likely to start five games this year than Hendon Hooker is. I mean, injury, yeah. whatever. But, you know, if everybody's healthy, I mean – Kyler Murray is hurt right now. And I, I, I put out this tweet, JJ and uh, Dr. Mueller or whatever was on there saying, dude, so isn't Colt McCoy. Colt yeah. McCoy might not even play this year. It's like, Oh, I, I was making this tune pick before I knew that. Yeah. that is, making the assumption that, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's great added knowledge. This is great. So th- those are the types of players I've been, I've been targeting late, just positional value, like running backs. I- I'd much rather have Lou Nichols than any of those wide receivers. And I don't even like Lou Nichols, but you're right. No. Like the running back has the chance to, to somehow elevate due to injury. These wide receivers, you know, w- we say it all the time, a target is earned, you know, and yeah. it's likely they're not good. It's likely Lou Nichols isn't good too, but if he's in the game, yeah. a-, a carry is not earned. You right. do not have to earn a carry. You just have to earn getting your ass on the field, which right. sometimes is like by default. Um, so anyway, that's, that's uh, and you know this. You know this. For sure. For sure. Hey, you're amazing. Thanks for coming on my show. Thanks for spending all this time. Appreciate um, it, man. I got to tell everybody to make sure. Look, we subscribe to you. We, we do. Uh, the Undroppables, we want to see what you're doing. We think you're great. We support you. We are fans of you. So, Thank you for being great. Tell everybody where they can find all your awesome stuff. I mean, lateroundquarterback.com, all that. Just tell them where they can find you because they ought to. Yeah, so over on lateround.com, you can find the uh, pre-order for the draft guide, which is very much a, like, I I did the first one last year because that was the first year that I was on my own. And, um, you know, I make the draft guide to be more game theory centric, strategy centric, as opposed to just like another guide where you're getting just a bunch of player profiles. Right. So, uh, the draft guides out for pre-order for 1999. And then the prospect guide is out there. If you have a rookie draft coming up and you want to know what goes into my models and I'm very transparent about all that, uh, within that guide. And there's profiles of every guy, uh, who was at the combine. And then I also have a year two model. That's part year of that. Year two models. Great. Actually, yeah. I, we should, we, we, let's have another podcast right now. Start it now about year two model. No, I'm joking, yeah, yeah. but your year two model is fantastic. So yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, you can get all that over on late round.com. 
Yeah, fantastic. So thank you, JJ. You're awesome. On behalf of everybody here at the Undroppables, on behalf of everybody here at the Undrafted, on behalf of a dead, silent, sad Philadelphia 76er fan, Mr. Michael P. Duncan, you have been joined by the great JJ Zacharyson. I am Jax Falcone, and we are out. Out.